The 6th Annual Audio Theater Central Seneca Awards broadcast is coming soon. The Seneca Awards recognize excellence in the world of family-friendly audio drama, and we're inviting you to tune into the show. Join us on Friday, August 25th, 2023, at 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern, as we announce the winners in 12 different categories from productions released in the year of 2022. In addition to announcing the winners, we'll hear presentations from renowned host of Adventures in Odyssey, Chris Anthony Lansdowne, and actor and writer Nato Jacobson. There will also be short audio drama features and more. The broadcast will be streamed at thesenecas.org, where you'll be able to chat live with other listeners. We'll see you on Friday, August 25th, 2023, at 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. For more information, head over to thesenecas.org. That's thesenecas.org. Hi, everybody. This is Austin. You're listening to Beyond AIO from Odyssey Geek. Now, the last episode of Beyond AIO actually dropped not too long ago, but it's actually been about six months since I've sat down to record with my uh. co-host for this. <laughs> Michael Lefebvre, welcome back. Oh. Why? Hi. <laughs> Why it's been so long? Yeah, I think the last I've recorded was like the, either the day after Christmas or New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, something like that. And we're recording like near the end of June now. Last semester was absolutely ridiculous. Hello, it's really good to be back. Yeah. And before we start on what we're going to be talking about today, I just want to share a little bit of Paws and Tails news. Yeah! I don't think we've actually talked about this. Did, did we talk about this last time? I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> I don't think this happened uh, back when we last recorded, but J.D. Sutter actually did an interview with David Carl on Audio Theater Central for the, I believe it was, yeah, the June 2023 episode. Great interview. There's a little bit of spoilers, so if you are listening along for the first time with Paws and Tails, you may want to avoid it for a little bit, but some of the highlights of that was him talking about one how they started producing new Paws and Tails episodes. Basically, I think somebody gave them like a $10,000 check to make new episodes, and they're kind of like, okay, we got the money to do it, what do we do? And they got together and produce four new episodes and hopefully people will be interested in giving them money to produce new episodes and they're kind of rebooting it's kind of like a soft reboot of the series they're going to be i guess advertising a little bit differently and also they got new artwork they redid the character design which i have thoughts (laughs) i haven't seen it yet and they also have a behind the scenes video on their website of the recording session for the new episodes. There's no spoilers in it, but it sounds like on the video, there's a brand new song on that one that's not in any of the three seasons of Paws and Tales. So it looks like we are going to be getting Ooh. songs in the new episodes. I don't know yet if it's Sandy Howe or not. I haven't heard a confirm or deny on that yet, but hopefully she's back. We can ask her when we interview her. <laughs> and Yeah, in six months from now. No, no, oh. <laughs> But no, <laughs> but no, it's a really great, it's a really great conversation. I'll link to that in the podcast notes. And yeah, that's about all I have to share on that. My first question is what? My second question is, is it true? Are you talking <laughs> about the New Paws and Tales episodes or the episodes we're going to that's, that's review? A, that's a reference. That's a reference to today's episode. Austin. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> I get it now. <laughs> I, I i i listened to these episodes a few months back i think i wrote my notes on it but i re-listened to both of them again in the past couple of weeks i think so it's not quite as fresh in my mind i just heard them an hour ago <laughs> less than an hour ago for one of them 
Yeah, so let's go ahead and get started. These are the last two episodes of Paws and Tales Season 1 that we're going to review. It's not the last two episodes of the season because we already reviewed I'm a Believer, which is episode 29, back around Easter yep. two years ago, I think. Something like that. So I think these are a better end to the season than I'm a Believer. Yeah. Just because of how many major things happen in these episodes. Also, I feel like I liked... I, I'll say I like these more than I remember liking I'm a Believer. Yeah, yeah. And there's some good things about that episode. Yeah. All right, so we're going to be talking about episode 27, The Gift, and episode 28, Goliath. Yeah, we are. So the first episode is The Gift, which is written by David Carl, mm-hmm. directed by David Carl. Music by Tim Hosman, sound design by Eric Basil, and the song A Plan for Me by Sandy Howe and Nick Brown. So this is actually, if I remember right, yeah, the last two episodes that we reviewed were written by different writers. I think Gary Armstrong, if I'm not mistaken, wrote If the Tooth yeah, Be Known. Yeah, Gary Armstrong was If the Tooth Be Known. Yeah, yeah. and then Nathan and then Carlson the and Jeff Parker wrote the last one. So it's back to David Carl, the showrunner, the guy that knows the series best. Yep. We start out with all the club again, which is nice. And we hear them walking home from school. The narrator gives us the order that they, you know, how they go home. CJ's first, then Goose, and Stacy, Marsha, and Ned by the river. Yeah, and at first it's not apparent why exactly that's being given, but then later on in the episode it does become apparent. That's really good storytelling to set it up that way, where it just seems like it's casually being told by the narrator. And then you realize, oh, wait, I wrote this down in my notes. I know what order they're going to have to go. Oh, man, that, yeah, it's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Marsha talks about being excited about her report card, and I love this math joke. I don't know if it's a math joke per se, but it's like the kind of reason, like, you know, like Stacy said, like, how does rounding numbers work? And you just don't change numbers, call it something else, or call it something else. 3.75 is 3.75. Who thought it would be a good idea to make it four? That's not math. Which, kind of yes, kind of no. I can, I can understand that reasoning, but I understand how, you know. I didn't find it particularly funny. It was more just... I don't have a good comeback to that. You, you you just don't know what you're talking about. It's a cute thing kids would say. These are third graders, you know. Sure. Which actually third graders, I know like, again, this is, you know, back like late 1800s, early 1900s, something like that. I don't think I remember doing rounding numbers in third grade. Oh. I'm not positive about that. I mean, it's Mrs. Collins. No, sorry, Miss Harbor. I'm, I'm a Gileadite now. <laughs> yeah, it's Miss Harbor teaching it. So, you know, maybe she's got them on a fast track. Yeah, maybe she has a song to help them learn it. Probably. Hopefully not. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, they also talk about what's going on in Wildwood. Someone painted some mean words on the general store, and they all say, like, oh, yeah, it's Hugh. It's Hugh and his buddies did it. You know, catching the act is the hard part. And I love, you know, Ned using big words here. They don't get caught. I get caught. He's talking about how one of, wasn't it one of them punched him, so he reciprocated? Smacked him in the back of the head. Yeah, so you're separated. So Goose goes, is it Goose yeah. that says, wait, so so you mean you just hit him back or something? And he goes, eh, or somebody says something about using big words. I thought you smacked him <laughs> in the back of his head. And I think it's like, thank you, Goose. I was looking for more words or something like that. <laughs> it's like he, again, he's kind of the smartest animal, smartest person in the room here. But it's just funny, you know. Goose is funny. Yeah, Goose is great. Goose is fantastic in these two episodes. Yeah. And we also got to mention, too, of, like, why Hugh might be mean. I think Marsha or Stacey said it might be his mean dad. And CJ yeah. just has this kind of hardened heart a little bit, kind of like he did in the Hello Blue Hunker Hill. You know, someday he's going to get it bad. Like, yep. I guess kind of revenge kind of thing. And that's when... Surprise! <laughs> <laughs> Hugh pounces on him. Yep. 
And yeah, it's Hugh and it's it's uh, his buddies who are there with him. Yeah, Mange and Multi. The first time we get to hear them. Mm. So what what did you think about these characters, as gang members? I was kind of confused at first as to who they were, or if it was just Hugh had a completely different voice actor for two of his lines. I thought, wait, that that doesn't make sense. But then they started talking. I thought, ooh, well, well, this ups the ante then because these are the guys who are hanging around with Hugh and are causing trouble, as we've seen earlier in the episode. And we haven't really seen this previously. I think the Hollywood Hunker Hill kind of goes unnoticed as to kind of why, what the repercussions should be for Hugh and CJ. It's kind of that episode happened, and now starting with, was it A Pirate's Life? Yeah, starting with that one, everything just goes back to normal for CJ and Hugh. But then here, having these two guys here, it does present it as a much bigger threat than just Hugh being by himself. Because Hugh by himself clearly wouldn't be a match for Goose, CJ, Stacy, Ned, all of them together. Marsha there too. But having three of them, that's a bigger threat for the audience to interpret as, yeah, this is this is serious. And it's understandable why the club would be annoyed at this. And the payoff at the end of the episode with these two is spectacular. I'll say it right now. It's really, really well done. Yeah, looking forward to talking about that. Yeah, I guess it didn't. I guess uh, having cousin Joey be a part of his gang didn't work out. No, no. I mean, <laughs> Joey realized really quickly. No, we had a great episode with Joey. Don't bring him back and ruin him. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But yeah, Hugh talks about again. We haven't heard it. We haven't heard about it for a while. But he talks about how he loves his bad eye. It's easy mm. for him to pounce on him. And- yeah. That I felt like I feel like I've said that previously. I felt like it was kind of a, a dropped plot point about CJ's eye. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> yeah, and Goose gets upset, and she and she starts uh, bobbing and weaving again. I guess <laughs> she does. She makes a good distraction there, and later she calls it combat mode. <laughs> it was perfect, and again tying into the end of the end of the episode exactly what she needed to do. Mm-hmm. I love Goose. <laughs> Goose written by David Carl is fantastic. Yeah, she's great, but CJ really takes it harder than ever before now and he talks about like how you know he doesn't pick on anyone like he does me like he you know bullies usually do that they pick on the people that are the most vulnerable or have something different about them yeah well he he ends up second guessing himself because of it which is horrible because that's Hugh getting to him in a way that Hugh really shouldn't have like the, the best attack from bully is more psychological than physical like you can have a bully beating people up but then what that bully says and what that bully like Vance King yeah well, I don't even know that. That was just targeting. Oh, are we talking about Matthew or Buck? Um, more like the owl napping and uh. Um, no, no, because that wasn't really targeting. That wasn't really targeting Ryan as a person. Of you're you're a loser. Well, the whole team is psychological. That was just I'm playing there. games and I'm wasting. Well, yeah, but I'm, I what I mean is I'm not. It, it's the threat of the bully to to go up to somebody, start to beat him up. And then not and say, nah, I'm not going to beat you up. You're too wimpy anyway, or something like that. I think that would hurt even more. It's it, The person who doesn't get beat up by that bully doesn't walk away from that feeling good. In fact, might walk, even walk away feeling worse because, oh, there, there's something wrong with me that's being, you know, that's being felt by that person. So what Hugh's doing here is really, really effective. And we see that in in CJ. And the way that CJ deals with it is, is interesting, and I want to talk about it when we get there. But, yeah, for now, Hugh knows how to get to him. Mm-hmm. I, I do like, I mean, he, he kind of vents his frustration a little bit with his friends, but he walks away, and he prays to God, or just kind of pours out his heart to God. Really, God does want to hear how we feel. I mean, I, I, don't think we should be, I don't think we should be disrespectful. And he talks about that, like, you know, I don't mean to 
I don't mean to be disrespectful, but why do I have this? I just want to be normal. Like, there's a lot of laments like that, like in the Psalms yeah. and things like that, like where David questions, you know, why, you know, like, why do the wicked prosper and things like that? Right, right. And I, and a, a more, I guess, a softer ending to the episode would have ended with CJ realizing it doesn't, th- this eye, really, it's just something for Hugh to pick on. There's nothing bad about it. There, there's, no, there doesn't have to be anything good about it. What matters here is, am I going to listen to the word of a bully over the word of, of God, saying that I am wonderfully made? Yeah. And the people who are in my life... And that's where I thought it was going when he saw how everyone was fighting to defend him. I thought the twist was going to be, everybody cares about you so much, you doesn't matter at all. So, I think this episode is really, really strong for the theme that it presents, but it could have presented a an as strong, or maybe a slightly less strong message with the one that was more obvious. So, yeah, yeah, there were there were a couple of different ways this could have gone, and I liked, I liked how this one was handled here. Yeah. So we hear later Ned and CJ are going to town. I think they're gonna go meet up with the girls from the club. They catch Hugh and Mange and Multi painting stuff on the general store again. CJ runs in, I guess, the front. And we talk here about, you know, Ned being slow again, the slow and squatty beaver as he as he uh, describes himself. Yep. <laughs> However, I'm a little bit confused about the sequence of events and who knows what is happening because it sounds like Mange gets away, but Hugh and Multi are caught by Mr. Crawford because later we hear Mange do that kind of crying thing like oh i better turn myself in later kind of makes sense because you know he only have like one hand or paw to catch two of the rascals there maybe i thought i thought hugh got away there though i think it was mange but hugh is there because hugh is the one that says you know you squealed to cj which i don't know why cj had to show up i don't think it was hugh I- i'm pretty sure from-, from what i remember the plot went that one of them was caught and said, you squealed. CJ feels horrible about it. And then what progresses is he's concerned that Hugh is going to find out. Because there, there's a line that explicitly says, if I remember correctly, once Hugh gets caught, he's going to be told that you were the one who told on him. And he's going to come for you. Right? I think that's when he gets punished is when that will happen. Because he gets caught. Well, there's a line before then uh, about that. I don't, I don't think Hugh was there. I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was just the just the one, and that a Hugh and the other guy got away. Well, I know the the voice that so like you squealed is when CJ comes out through the screen door. We hear that open, which again doesn't make sense why CJ would go out there if he was wanting to protect himself. For me, he's just so excited to see up close, you know, these bullies getting what they deserve. Yeah, that he just doesn't think about it. It's it was played off. It's a very clearly I'm following this hey you, you see him he's right over there oh oh wait wait you saw me wait i shouldn't have i shouldn't have gone out that that was the way that it was it was played off i don't think that was a mistake like if you want to talk about this episode's uh sub theme of doing the right thing has consequences it's not really touched on here but that could be a, a a little mini theme in this one that yeah if you're going to tell on him then yeah you need to be willing to accept the consequences of he he knows like your honesty about what he's doing is also also translates into him knowing who the one who told on him was. It's like what Stacy went through in Stacy's Dilemma, you know? Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I've heard the episode several times, and it still kind of confuses me, but I just okay. find it kind of... I'm just kind of surprised that you felt like you were following it better, but... Yeah, maybe it's, maybe it's because I have only heard it once. If I hear it again, I might be more confused by it, but I thought it was pretty clear what was meant to be portrayed by the sequence of events that 
followed directly from that scene as well. Okay, okay. Well, we do hear later at school, I think the narrator says, you know, like, they're just all nervous and on edge because once he gets punished, then he'll uh, get back at CJ. But the thing is, again, the scene before sounded like Hugh knew that it was CJ already. Yeah, pretty sure he didn't. It was it was odd. But Jesse McClaw shows up. Steve Bridges. Not the same actor, unfortunately. But yeah, yeah it's, it's Steve Bridges is always fine. It's just after a while, now that I'm to the point where I do know what Steve Bridges sounds like, not hearing the original, hey, Hugh, get in here. Is kind of that sad. was still Steve. It's a, it's been the same actor for all the episodes Jesse's been in. Seriously, in High Noon and Standing Alone. He was, yeah, Steve Bridges. Standing, are you serious? That was Steve Bridges because it didn't sound at all like Steve Bridges in that first episode. Yeah, yeah, that's Steve Bridges. Oh, well, he should have done a better job in this episode. <laughs> yeah, I didn't recognize. Him. I mean, we only hear him for just a little bit. He has basically a cameo in this, but you know, Hugh starts to cry, and feel bad, and. I mean, who knows what happens, you know, when he gets home. Yeah, well, it's 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 pretty dark, honestly, actually. Yeah, like, CJ feels bad. Like, he's not, like, yucking it up. He's like, I mean, one, he's concerned for his safety, but he's like, oh, no, like, I don't think he's embarrassed, but like, oh, no, this is going to get really bad. He's really going to be after me now kind of thing. And Multi, you know, he says, you know, I better go to turn myself in before my dad comes, and he goes off to get Miss Harbor. Now, see, I didn't realize there was a third guy. I didn't realize that Multi was a third person who was there with him, so I was really confused. Oh, okay. I thought he was just a random person <laughs> was there. Well, that line also, too, is kind of odd. Like, it almost sounds like he's making fun of it. I think it's how in the delivery it is, but I'm guessing he actually is concerned, maybe. But yeah, this is the first time the actor is playing that character, which, do you remember when I mentioned back in Plants in the Breaking that the one that played Mr. Lily will be reappearing? The guy trapped in the guy trapped in the elevator? Yep, and also Mr. Wright and the Tooth Be Known. That's the same one that plays Multi. Editing Austin here. It's actually Mange. Oh, I didn't know that. Good for him. He's got a very versatile voice. I'm happy for him. Yeah, I, I need to... I know his name somewhere. I need to need to find it. But yeah, he does a great job with that character. You, you'll hear his voice quite often, not just as multi, but some other characters in the future. Well, we'll get to it when the climax of this episode happens. I was kind of eh, on the the two guys who were hanging around with you until that payoff. So yeah, I, I'm I, I'm a fan of them after this episode, but midway through it was kind of like uh, you, you need to convince me why these guys even exist, which the episode did. So the club is you know. Nervous. They all want to stick together, try to protect each other. Mr. Crawford, they talk to later. You know, he tries comforting CJ. Which to CJ just turns out, oh, yeah, now everybody knows that they're after me. Yeah, even the grown-ups know we're in trouble, I think Ned mentions. Yep. <laughs> Which, th- there's not a lot of spare time in this episode. The tension ratchets up really quickly. Mm-hmm. And it's very much on a kid's level. I remember talking about High Noon, about how David Carl was very careful to make it, you know, these things that kids have fears of as them being legitimate, that's on their level, that's very fearful for them. And I think that works here, too, that this is a very real thing. Well, it's realized in the universe in this episode, because we haven't really had this level of violence on Paws and Tails before, because you've had Hugh jumping out of the, the bushes and going, whack, and CJ, and going, oh, did I scare you? In previous episodes, like, the uh, like standing alone. But we haven't had this level of, I'm going to beat you up, or what they almost do to Goose. It's really scary. Yeah. This is the darkest episode of Paws and Tales, or one of the darkest. Second darkest. Second darkest. It gets darker, trust me. It gets darker later. Oh. <laughs> well, yeah, because CJ's got to save the lives of everyone in town, and, and uh, Timothy Owl has a plan to take over the world, and CJ's got to break the rules to save people, and, and we get to hear the rest of Papa Chuck's backstory. There's a lot that's coming up. I don't know any of it, and I'm happy not to know any of it. <laughs> don't tell me any of it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, after that, talk with Mr. Crawford. 
you know, Hugh and his gang sneaks up on them. And you wouldn't think about it from Goose, but Goose is the one that brings up, you know, like yesterday when you were crying at school, that doesn't sound much like Goose. Like, I don't think Whoa. she's just being mean-spirited. She's probably just trying to defend CJ in the way that she could think of. Yeah. Well, they bring it out. It's like, wow, that was really, that was really, uh, strong of you, Goose. Yeah. And now she becomes the first target because it tells her, like, you'll be first now, Goose. Uh, I mean, yay that she put herself out there. That was brave of her. And she's never, she doesn't, yeah, Goose doesn't strike me as someone who's really scared. Except for back from high noon when she was scared of nothing. And just bobbing and weaving everywhere. But here, it's it's great that she stands up for her friends and consistently does that. It's a great testament to her character that she's not just uh, she's she's not just the like the comic relief back from like a conscious effort when she's just playing detective and has no bearing in the plot whatsoever. Oh, fru fru. Yeah, I have so many problems with that. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Well, speaking of character consistencies or character growth, well, it's like a character trait, but Ned. Brings up his pig Latin again, like he used in uh, the Scarlet Stain. He's like, you know, Ixnay the Ryan K, like Nix the Crying. Yep. So, oh, oh, yeah, okay, okay. I thought that was one of the bullies at first, but I guess that does make sense. It's coming from Ned. He's trying to, I guess he's trying to protect Goose there to try to de-escalate. Yeah. Which makes it, it's an interesting commentary on him that he's de-escalating here when we know from well, it's told to us in the Scarlet Stain that he has he's always had a problem with his temper. And then, well, I guess we see it flare up in that episode, too. And then in, I'm not counting Grecian Urn, that's not canon. In the, uh, if the tooth be known, with his kind of snippiness there. And then the way he acts here is interesting to see. He knows that he doesn't want to get himself too riled up. And then when he does, he's unstoppable. Well, it's also, it's not necessarily affecting him. It's affecting someone else. So if it's more like, oh, I'm being treated unfairly, then I'm definitely going to get angry. But if it's someone else, he might treat them a little bit differently. Yeah, like regardless of what's going on with him, and I'm assuming this will be something. I don't have a spoiler, but I have a, what could be a hint from David Carl from a, a thing that was in episode two about how this may affect. I don't think it's a spoiler. I can tell you what it is if you want to know, but just seeing hearing even the the reference in the scarlet stain about how this affects him for years and sometimes it flares up sometimes it goes away i don't know what's going on with that i don't know how long it's going to affect him when it's going to pop up but it's good to see that he's still able to be a an outwardly benevolent character even though he's got the sin inside he's still likable he's still likable even though he's uh, he's got something to deal with and I don't know if he's going to be redeemed by the end of the series because this ends with season three not having an ending from what I hear. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Okay. Uh. I One line, it was, you know, kind of, it was kind of funny, but I was thinking about this, you know, at a deeper level. I think someone mentioned that, like, how, you know, asking God, like, hear from God on how to take care of the situation or something like that. And I think he just says, you know, occasional letter. No, it was Ned. You know, occasional letter from him would be quite helpful. And I was thinking, the Bible, it's God's <laughs> letter to us. I know they weren't going that deep yeah. with it, but that's that's where my brain went. Well, there are actual letters in there. <laughs> I think it's really funny when after school they're really scared, so they're walking so close to each other. <laughs> the little eyes <laughs> they have, they're like, "Goose, you're walking around on top of me!" And like, "Ow, my foot!" You know, I need more personal space here. <laughs> and hey, 
the the writing, directing, use of narrator are fantastic here because I know exactly what's going on. Them walking on top of each other just reinforces what's already been mentioned about them walking together to try to avoid the bullies. It's a great setup. It adds a little bit of humor in a way that I can laugh and go, <laughs> in the situational comedy, it's not just one of them trying to make a joke. And then when the turn eventually does happen... You can look back on that moment of them tripping over each other as sinister, like, oh, man, they they don't have it all together. They're they're really nervous. Or you can look at it as a joke if you want to see it more lighthearted. But it's it's well done in any case. It's great pacing for the episode. Yeah, yeah. Can you tell I like this episode? <laughs> yeah, this is, this is great. I'm, I'm glad you're liking it. Yeah. But I think there is an inconsistency here because we come to Goose's house, but I thought CJ was the first one on the route. Yep, 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 yep. I didn't understand that why that was not addressed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Goose was told like, okay, you're being the target first. So maybe CJ wanted to stick around for her. Like that that's kind of a way to explain they don't it, mention but it. nope. Nope, it's a pl- it's it's a plot hole. If you've heard this episode multiple times and they haven't and you don't think they've addressed it and if I've heard it once and I I thought it was a problem the first time I heard it, yeah, this is a problem. Yeah. Nice try, guys. <laughs> But yeah, uh, Goose, you know, she tries to be brave and all that, and you know, I don't, I don't think she kind of again, she's she's wise. She thinks like, oh, maybe they won't. I don't think they'll try anything today. They'll probably just let us suffer for a while, you know, like think about it psychologically. And then they all pounce on her, and she calls out for help. This scene, fight scenes, and audio drama can be very difficult. Oh, but this one's great. If it's not done well, it's really bad. If it's done well, it's really well. It's one of those things that you ha- it's either going to be really bad or really good. And I think this is really good. We don't get the narrator at all. We know what's happening with each of the characters and what's going on with that. Well, the, the good thing about this one is you feel like both sides are kind of lined up. And they're each ready to take a turn at each other. And so once Goose is grabbed, then she bites. Then CJ takes a swing. Or CJ goes up and he gets punched. And then Ned comes in and slaps with his tail. It's it's a pretty easy to understand back and forth. And it doesn't drag on for too long until we get the insane storytelling perspective cutting out with CJ. Mm-hmm. And also Stacy punches Hugh quite a bit too. And, and oh, yeah. multi-compliments are like, oh, that was a good one. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm not rooting for her or anything, but you gotta, <laughs> she got you good. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then while he's talking to Hugh is when Ned uh-huh. smacks him with his tail. Exactly. It, it feels like these these kids... They're ready to do this to defend their friend, and all of this is going. You don't get, you don't get the feeling that they're just backing off because the other characters are talking. At least until they see that CJ's hurt, and then CJ starts to recover, and that whole sequence happens. But yeah, Hugh punches CJ in his good eye, mm. so he's basically left with his bad eye, the one he can't see. That well, it's his his weak eye. I love Tim Hosman's score here underneath the narrator's. Ooh lines here yeah you know like he's watching all this happen you hear them screaming yelling in the background it's kind of this distant feeling of this happening even though he probably is fairly close by to them it's kind of like fades off like he's kind of focusing in on actually what's happening Mm -hmm. he talks about his eye swelling it's closing shut he's only seen his weak eye but he's seeing things differently and he kind of like says it out loud well the directing and the sound design are so good in that it's focusing on just different groups fighting each other like you've got Ned over there CJ Stacy over there Goose over there and as he focuses on each one you can kind of hear him in the background as he starts to make a comment about it yeah like Stacy is so brave and has such a pure heart and you hear her fighting and then Goose you hear her you know rah, rah, whatever her yelling in the background and you're like I always thought you were just being silly or something like that but you have gifts that you don't even know about and he focuses on Ned and goes 
no, he's evil. Focus is on you. <laughs> no, not actually. But yeah, he uh he focuses on Hugh, and he starts saying out loud, or I guess louder than it was before. And they all kind of stop and they look at it. You know, multi. You know, he he appreciates good violence. I guess. <laughs> like, oh yeah, that's a shiner or something like that. Yeah. You know, Stacy's you know concerned about him, and he's just kind of like almost in a daze. Like, yeah, I know why you're this way. Like, it's because you're afraid. You know, all the meanness, afraid of not doing good in school, not having any friends, afraid of yeah. your dad not mounting anything. Like, it's not. You don't say that to people. That's not using <clears throat> discernment. But he just kind of tells it all and sounds like the way it's talking here is it's true. Again, especially as it kind of touches a nerve. And Hugh kind of backs off now, not because of, mm-hmm. okay, I'm just done with you. It's more like, oh, okay, he's seen more about me than ever had before. I'm not, not comfortable with this. So there are a couple factors to play into this. When I heard this, I thought, ooh, this makes me, I really like this subjectively. It makes me feel really cool to hear this. But it is it makes me feel cool. It feels cool. It doesn't make me feel cool. I already feel cool. But is this actually realistic? So I thought, well, let's see who Hugh was in the past. Yeah. Yeah, we absolutely know that Hugh is scared of things, like he, that he's scared of his dad and that his home life isn't that good. We, we've had that before. And with Hugh being scared or, or Hugh like realizing that Stacy was actually hurt, he does kind of care to a certain extent. He doesn't just want to see people get indiscriminately beat up. He just wants to intimidate people. So all that plays into Hugh's psyche. But on top of that, you've got whatever's going on here with CJ. And one of two things could be happening. I think there's something spiritual going on because Papa Chuck then talks about CJ's gift. And I think that's reasonable to assume that CJ has a sort of spiritual gift that he just hasn't seen until now when trying to squint at people and seeing what was going on from the outside of the fight. So that's is probably part of it and probably why he's talking this way and why he had the insight to remember back to his moments with Hugh to remember that Hugh would be scared like that. And also it just makes sense for CJ to act this way because he's not able to fight back. He doesn't want the fight to escalate more. He was the, like the one who was hurt the most in this fight. And so stepping up to defuse it with, by saying that to Hugh, that also makes sense. It seems like something he would do to keep the peace. To, to mention that to Hugh, even if there wasn't anything spiritual that was connected, just seeing everything in a whole new light. See, oh, all my friends are here. They're, they're defending me. Wow, they're so great. My fr- uh, see, Stacy's like this. Goose is like this. Even Hugh, I can see why you act that way. To be in that mindset, it makes sense why he'd be going there, even if it's not from a spiritual standpoint. And that, seeing the good in that and seeing like other people's gifts a closer look if you will not that no not that one (laughs) yeah seeing how how his friends oh yeah that actually does tie into that episode seeing how his friends really do have these gifts and how he's uh, uh, like blessed to be with them as a friend i think the implications of that are great tying that back in to solid character development that makes for something that i'm really really happy with this makes for an excellent climax to this episode it's not as plot heavy as previous episodes but it's set up well and serves as a good culmination to everything we've seen before other episodes that have been really strong like standing alone uh i don't remember how i felt about whole willow hunker hill but yeah other other ones actually i could look at my rankings yeah some of the ones were huge prominent in like standing alone i think would be the the biggest one tying those in to this episode it's good to finally see this side of cj that's been hinted at previously in the series yeah 
And actually, I don't know what would have happened if Hugh's sidekicks hadn't said anything, but, you know, Mange is, you know, I'm afraid of clowns. Like, so am I. Why'd you use that? And then he's like, oh, you're talking about being afraid of stuff. And then he, Hugh just, you know, turns on them. Like, what's what's wrong with you? And then it's like, oh, how rude. You're the one that's afraid of, uh, afraid of not amounting to anything or something like that. And then he starts attacking or tries to attack uh, Mange. Yeah. And then, and Moltz says, you know, afraid of mice? He's like, he didn't say anything about mice. Like, well, if you're afraid of everything else, then I, I thought you would be. And then, you know, he cuts him off because, you know, he's growling at them and pouncing on him. They just run off. And I love Moltz. Uh, he said, like, wait for me. I'm afraid to be here alone. It, yeah, it's kind of mean, but it's also <laughs> pretty funny in the context. Yeah. No, it's, th- this is the moment where I thought, oh, these guys are perfect for this episode because they're, uh, multi was it multi's comment about about being afraid of clowns multi is the one that's more the goofier one mange is the more the introspective one he's the one that was complimenting the the punches and that kind of stuff oh uh, okay okay well the clown comment at first seemed really out of place like why are we undercutting these this moment with a laugh line but then i remembered who wrote this episode and i remembered that he doesn't really do that and then i waited for another second and then i heard how hugh was reacting to it and i thought Oh, okay. So Hugh is realizing, everybody's realizing, CJ just had this deep moment of insight about himself, about Goose, Stacy, Hugh, and then these two guys are just playing it off as a joke. Like, yeah, well, I'm afraid of clowns. What else, how else significant is that? And Hugh's like, no, no, he actually said something about me. Can't you guys see that? And they're like, what? What, you're afraid of something? And what Hugh wants is like, no, I want somebody in my life who's going to go alongside me and not belittle me for being afraid of things. Going back to to earlier, when Goose yelled at Hugh for crying, that's why it affected him so much, because he resented her saying he was afraid of something or not acknowledging that he was afraid of something. So what he really wants is somebody who's not going to do that to him. So at this point, he's alone. Which is why he lashes out at the two people who he thought were his friends. This is a great episode for Hugh. Yeah, I I know this is a good episode, but the, something you're bringing out about it, I hadn't thought about yeah. before. And I, again, one of the things I love about this is hearing someone's perspectives from it from the first time, and it's almost like me reliving mm-hmm. it all over again. So this this is great stuff. <laughs> this is why I love this podcast. Me too. And Goose, she gets this, you know, introspection. here, like, something's just happened here. Like she recognizes something happens, and he just kind of like, oh, that's one of her gifts, you know. You know, you know when something has a deeper meaning or something like that. They talk about complimenting each other or whatever. And, you know, you need to talk to Papa Chuck. And he said, like, yeah, see, she did it right there. Then also, it's kind of funny, but also, too, like, in Marshall saying, like, you know, I was scared. Stacey, were you, were you scared? And, like, she doesn't sound scared. Like, she sounded, like, kind of happy. Like, she's probably maybe the most brave one of the bunch. Yeah. It sounds like more she's trying to, like, make herself relatable to Marsha. Because Marsha sounds like she's, like, probably the most shy of the of the characters. Yeah. Well, Stacy was the one who crashed Hugh's go-kart on purpose. She doesn't shy away from those kind of situations. <laughs> yeah. But the, the insight about Goo is also made me wonder, has she said that stuff in the past? Because I don't really remember it. I remember her saying a couple times previously, like, guys, we shouldn't be doing this in... I think it was Correction when... Correction course. Was it in the Hullabaloo Hunker Hill? Yeah, well, Hullabaloo Hunker Hill, too. She tried to keep him from fighting Hugh. Yeah, I'm also trying to... Uh, also, was it Scarlet Stain? Well, yeah, in Correction Course, when she just keeps blurting things out. Everything's kind of blending together for me just because I've listened to 25 episodes over the last two... No, more than that, over the last two days. Does this make you feel... Like, I know you're talking about how this Goose is your favorite character in the series so far. Does this help solidify that in your mind? Or is it something that you kind of suspected it was already there? No, no, it, it totally reverts it. I hate that Goose is getting such incredible character development. 
<laughs> no, this is perfect. This is fantastic. It, it's great. Like having a funny character is fine, but if you can make them relatable and have some, you know, deeper elements of them, like go back to Odyssey here, but like Wooten. Wooten's at his best when he has these moments of vulnerability and the times that he's able to, you know, help kids and things like that, rather than just being a goofy, you know, having goofy one-liners or random stuff to talk about. I once had a dog named Artichoke who ate birdseed. He was a bird dog. Now that is funny. It is why. <laughs> yeah. I think it's funny, it's but... Dumb. No, no, it's not. It's just That dumb. wasn't a good time for Wooten writing. <laughs> anyway, moving on. So we actually go to commercial break after this. So we actually only have one scene after this commercial break and then the song. Doesn't always happen that way, but it's a, it's a pretty big scene or at least yep. a pretty important scene there. Oh, uh, real quick, before we go, before we go on, uh, something I, I noticed earlier and I just bumped into this in my notes is marcia being played by katie lee uh no it's linda ford she played her for the first time in if the truth be known i know she's playing it a little bit differently here and i think in the next episode after that she plays it i think she's fine fine tunes it to the the perfect amount in the next episode i didn't hear katie lee at all in if the truth be known and i really hear something that sounds like katie lee in this one and the next one yeah it's it's the same actress but like i said the first episode with linda ford as marcia was quite a bit different she fine-tunes it to sound more like a you know a little girl a lot more i don't know i i liked her i liked her in if the truth be known some of the their really funny lines come from like marcia and stacy in that one when she's being really persnickety like that in the tone of voice that she has and she doesn't really get there in this one or the next one now that i think about that that, that sounds a little bit out of character for marcia because marcia again she's a lot usually a lot more shy not as confrontational <laughs> So this one and know, the next one, to. again, this is David Carl writing. So I guess that's more of his vision for how her character is. And directing. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So CJ talks to Papa Chuck about, about this. And Papa Chuck kind of kind of describes that it's discernment. And he talks about, you know, it's like a gift, you know, seeing things. Basically, basically reading between the lines for that. He says, you know, it's a big responsibility. You know, you got to pray for wisdom to use that gift. And you also want to find out how God wants you to use it. You should use it to help people, encourage them to grow. How he views Goose, like, you know, she has gifts that she doesn't even know about. And, like, yeah, it's up to you to encourage her in those gifts and things like that. I knew, I think you touched on this a little bit earlier. It is a spiritual gift. And in this world, I don't think I'm spoiling anything by saying reality. Again, this is a little bit different because, you know, it's all animals. It's like a different time period. Mm-hmm. But... The way reality and spirituality, kind of like allegorical to a certain extent, like we get with the scarlet stain kind of thing, that is fairly pervasive in this world. Okay, okay. This thing with his eye and all that kind of stuff is not just a physical thing, not just a spiritual thing. It's kind of a meshing of the two. Okay, sweet. Yeah, that that tracks because back in the scarlet stain, we had that whole thing of the stain's connection was directly connected with the sin. And I have a theory... About the mine, uh, which I can give later if you want, but and also going all the way back to which which other one was it? Um, there was another. Oh, um, God with the wind, with Papa Chuck saying the animals down there have turned their backs on God, and so they're living like wild animals. That is a very clear spiritual reality connection that plays into the meta of the series. So yeah, that that tracks. And then we also hear about, we don't get a name though, but we hear about an elk. The elk. That had a similar uh-huh. gift, but he used it badly. And he got others to do what he wanted to do, cost suffering for thousands, got rich and powerful. This is something I think that's important to talk about too, is that people do have gifts that God gives them, but people have the choice whether to use it for good or evil. You can do, like, it sounds like for this elk, 
basically he saw what they really could be and kind of try to keep them away from their potential, basically. It sounds like he was kind of using deception or, like, misdirection and things like that. Well, I think there's an even clearer, more obvious example parallel to what this elk is doing, and I don't need to reference what that example is because you know what I'm going to reference. Yeah, I, I think I can probably get that. Yeah, I think that's, that's a very clear reference, is that it's not even manipulating them to do or suppressing their abilities. It's bringing them out for your own personal gain. It's like seeing how far somebody else will go. Meanwhile, you're benefiting on the side in ways that they can't even realize. It, it goes along with intelligence, too. So, like, with, with him seeing this and having the insight to know, okay, this person will act in this way. Talking about the elk here. Just it, seeing what, what he could have been doing, since I don't know the full story behind it. It's an interesting tidbit to hear from Papa Chuck, and it's a good word of warning and good writing to CJ to say, yeah, I've seen this this gift go wrongly. And you we can clearly see... In the scene when CJ saw Hugh's insecurity, he could have gone farther and made fun of him for it. Like, Hugh, you're just doing this because you're afraid. <laughs> how, how awful is that? You can't even just fight us on your own merits. You're actually trying to solve some insecurity of yourself. That could have been really bad. Mm -hmm. And I saw clearly what, where Papa Chuck was going when he said, you can bring out a lot of good by doing this. And I thought, oh, okay, well, that's tying into that one, that one little bit where CJ saw that in Hugh. But even also in his friends, if he knows that they have certain gifts, like, I think Goose ties a little back into a closer look with her painting a masterpiece, maybe a little bit. So if CJ sees that and then uses that for his own advantage, like, hey, I want you to do this for me or paint this for me, and using his friends more as utilities rather than people, rather than, having, rather than helping disciple them if he gets to a certain place, that I can see as being really harmful and something Papa Chuck would want to avoid. But I like how Papa Chuck brings that out. Yeah, well, you'll, you'll see whether or not he does it in a good way or bad way in the future. Oh, okay. But I, I do, I don't know, because people can use their gifts for good or bad or just ignore them completely. Like, we kind of get that story with the talents. I know that's have more than one, one meaning, but like I've heard of, like someone that had a call to preach and did not follow God's leading for that. But even though they refused to do it, I think this person like would wake up like every morning with a sermon idea on his mind. Ooh, interesting. And just because you don't use a gift or you misuse it doesn't mean that you still don't have it. Because it may just be kind of hidden. It may just be, you know, yeah. used, misused. And that's that's a topic I think is important to talk about, and actually it will be talked about in an episode of the next season Good. in a little more detail. Great. Yeah, I don't know enough examples about it, but it, just because you ignore something that God has for you doesn't mean God is going to stop trying to get to you. That's something I've heard a lot from people. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of end with kind of this mysterious thing here. Uh, Papa Chuck says, you know, God has plans for you, son. Yeah, I think I'm, I know what one of them might be. You're not ready yet. Maybe someday. I just want to be sure. And he's like, you can't do that. What did you think about that? I'm fine with it. Well, as an audience standpoint, we already knew that back from God with the wind with his conversation with the bear on the mountain that CJ was special and that there was something unique being planned for CJ. That that makes sense. As far as saying this to CJ, I'm okay with it because this is CJ coming off of a moment that he's never had before and thinking, oh, is there any meaning behind this? Or is this some, just something random? Papa Chuck saying, no, no, no. I think this is more significant than you realize. And having CJ go, oh, oh, great. Well, I can keep learning under you, Papa Chuck. You can help me hone this this gift. And eventually you're going to be able to, to teach me. And that ties back into snake oil where CJ said he wanted to be a disciple of God. 
And from that moment on, Papachuk's been discipling him off screen. But yeah, that that makes sense. I'm okay with it. Okay. So we end with the song, A Plan For Me. And it's supposed to be CJ singing. I know it's not the same actor. I think it's a a woman singing there. I can't remember. Oh, yeah. I think it's the same one that's saying with Mr. Right and Be Strong and Have Good Courage. Yes. Yes, that is. So, So what did you think of the song? I thought it was fine. I went ahead and I made a list of every song from season one, and this is smack dab in the middle of the list. The The singing wasn't very good. It was kind of off pitch. It was it also wasn't the same actor, and that was very obvious. And as far as the song went, it there wasn't a lot that stood out about it to me. There are other songs that do a lot of creative things with them and aren't just there for the sake of being there. And at another listen, I could give more specific details of what I thought of the song, but as I've only heard it once... I didn't have a lot of strong opinions about it, but I think the, the, the way that the actress was singing was, or the way the singer was singing was kind of pulling it back a little bit. So yeah, it was, it was fine. I wouldn't, I wouldn't not want to listen to it again, put it that way. Well, I think this song is actually pretty similar to Jesus. I thank you from high noon with Joey singing. Oh, okay. Kind of a, this one isn't a prayer, but it's has a kind of simpleness and profoundness to it. And I kind of like how the lyrics, you know, go that way. It's almost like it's a song CJ could be singing after talking with Papa Chuck. Mm-hmm. I know God has a purpose for me. I know kind of an idea why I had this bad eye and that kind of stuff. So it kind of makes sense. It actually kind of caps off the story, I think, a little bit. Although, I don't know, the electric guitar solo in the middle was a little bit, <laughs> it was like a little bit out of place. Like, okay, this is really calm and meditative and kind of thing. And then it just goes into this electric guitar solo there. Like, ah, uh, that kind of kills the mood a little bit, but thankfully it doesn't last for too long. Yeah, it didn't bother me, but okay. <laughs> it's a no, it's an okay song, but I mean, it work, yeah. works because it sounds like it's it ha- ends on a happy note to a certain extent of like not just the question, but it also has you know, okay, God has something for me. I'm gonna find out what it is. I'm gonna trust Him doing that. So I think it fits more into the story, even though it's not retelling the story, which I know you don't really like care for those songs that do that. Yeah, absolutely hate it. Absolutely hate it. Yeah, it stands alone on its own. It could be heard with or without the episode, but I think it works great. It's kind of a character progression as well. Yeah. Alrighty. Here we go. Big conclusion here. So big things are happening, but it's a very small title for the episode, but it's a big name. Goliath. So it was written by David Carl, directed by David Carl. Tim Hosman did the music again. Eric Basil did the sound design. And the song New Creature in Christ was written by Sandy Howe and Nick Brown. In my notes here, at the very beginning here, there are no parental warnings on this. Paws and Tails is not one for doing parental warnings. They have never done a parental warning on any of the episodes, but this one, I think, might have been warranted. Maybe even the last one, too. No, I think the last one more than this one, because the last one actually had that, that fight scene, but it didn't go too far. This one, we don't actually see any of the fights, and the roar that Papa Chuck gives at the beginning is similar to one that he gives later, two that he gives later. Those are the only, I think, really scary moments in this episode, and because there's one at the beginning, it's kind of prefaced by, okay, this is just Papa Chuck, you know him. Well, it's not necessarily more violent, but it's more of a darker theme, or I'm not sure. The sense of his past. The action isn't there as much. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of my, I have a criticism about this episode that makes it not, not one of my favorites from the whole season, but we'll we can talk about that when we get to the end. Got to talk about a little, bit, a little bit of context for this one, or for what I thought going into it. So I had some expectations about what exactly was going to happen with Papa Chuck in this one. I'm really happy that we got the setup to this episode that we did. I think that was perfect for what this needed to be. 
And with the actual story, I didn't really know what was going to happen with Papa Chuck's backstory. And hearing at the end, spoilers, if you're listening to the review anyway, I don't know why I need to tell you that, that there is more to his story. That there there's more going on that we haven't heard yet in this episode. So just hearing the little bit that we got, that's already pretty dark. And it goes back to From God with the Wind with the reference to, oh, is that you, Goliath? And then back to the second one, uh, Grace to Hugh, with Mrs. Collins saying the the incredible things that Papa Chuck has done. Just those references to Papa Chuck's past life made it clear that there was something going on. I thought he was going to be a lot more feral than he actually was in this episode, but it's hinted at the end of the episode that he goes on an even darker path with where, what his friends are saying about them and what he says to Marsha about, no, I had to crawl. It was a, a slow crawl out of that as God pulled me out. And I think it, I think it was good. I think I thought it was really well, well represented, like what his what his backstory was and why it was so meaningful to him. R- really well acted as well. We're good. Yeah, yeah. We we got a lot to go through here. Let's do it. We actually begin another monumental thing happens. The fortress is done. Finally, that was a nice season. Good job. Yeah, but they still have no name for it yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. But it's also funny, too. We haven't heard about it for a while, but, you know, Marsha being clumsy again. She knocks over some of the tools. And it's it's a fun moment, you know, where they're all, you know, celebrating and all that. And, you know, they all, you know, kind of yell and cheer and all of that. And then Papa Chuck opens his mouth and wins the contest. No. You get that reference? No, no, please, no. <laughs> Why would you do that to me? I'm not even thinking about that. No, I am. Papa Chuck doing that seemed pretty random that he that he would just roar right there. It tracks with later in the episode where it says, I think there's, is it his backstory that says he, he's always wanted to get excited or something like that? Or, I'm not sure. I forget. I forget where it is. Yeah, there's there's one reference. Like, I could, I'll probably find it as we read along. But at that moment, it's kind of weird because he's never been one to act like that. And it seems a little bit strange. And the, the way it's framed in the episode is pretty sinister, especially following it up with the scene of John, uh, John right? The yeah. raccoon. And his family going through with with the the roar in the background. It's like, did you really want to do that, Papa Chuck? Because that's a pretty clear indication of like what your backstory is. But then that's not the reason why John is scared out of the church later on. So it's okay that this happens, especially because nobody's nobody's really scared by it. Just had me wondering immediately, like, I don't know that you would think that was the smartest thing to do right there. I don't want to say too much here, but. I don't think it was necessarily wrong for him to do no, that. No. Like he was like just you know being excited with the kids for them and all that. Yeah, I I found the reference. It's when they're they're all making noises in the fog and he says, "Oh, sorry, I got carried away." I understand he got carried away. I just haven't seen that from him previously okay. in the series. Okay. Well, what do you think of like the sound effects and the vocal effects for the roar itself? Do you think it sounded convincing, cartoony? Just perfect. Yeah, yeah, it was it was fantastic. I didn't have any problems with it. I heard it, and I was like, "Oh wow, that was a great transition from the actor to either the actor roaring." I couldn't tell if it was the actor roaring or a bear roaring or whatever it was roaring. But I thought, "Whoa, that's good." It was a great moment. Who did sound design for this one? I believe it was yeah, Eric Basil. We need to interview Eric Basil and Sandy Howell, maybe in two separate episodes or in the same episode. Can we make this happen, please, Austin? Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Okay. But yeah, it also it kind of, it kind of reminds me also like you know in Radio Theater's Narnia series when they do Aslan's roar. But I'm not sure if you, I'm not sure if David Suchet actually does any vocal effects in that or not. It might just be all sound effects and EQ with that. I'm not positive, but I do like how it's you know how it's made here, where it's not just you someone just 
a human, you know, sounding like it's just that. I'm not sure if it's mixed with other sound effects or if it's just EQ'd in that way or not, but it's it's a cool moment. This is an excellent, I'll say this right now, this is an excellent finale to a season one of an audio drama in several ways. One, it just feels like a culmination of every, not every episode, but a lot of, not even a lot of the threads, just a couple threads. The characters from the, the past season kind of wrapping up right here in this one moment and having that roar being the inciting incident or one of the inciting incidents for this episode and having it echo across Wild Mountain. It's a great moment. Mm-hmm. And we get the other perspective of it. We hear a family, like you mentioned, John, a raccoon, or they call him Opa. Mm-hmm. Funny story about, you know, one year it was so hot in this area. This The corn started popping. The cows thought it was snowing and they froze to death. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Yeah, that's 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 a that's a grandpa or dad yeah, kind of. I was just confused story. as to what was going on and who these characters were at first, and then I thought, oh no, oh no, they're gonna hear it. They heard him. I knew pretty pretty quickly that they were people from Papa Chuck's past. I didn't think much about this until I was looking at my notes here, but like afterwards, you know, I it's oh, it's him, and then he prays to God to protect this family, and he goes to church. So I'm wondering if he is a Christian. I think that's a good assumption, but I don't we don't get any definite. I mean, again, this is back in the day where most people went to church. It was more of a social thing for a lot of people. Well, did you? Is there anything to to indicate that he's not a Christian, or that we just haven't been told either way? At least in this episode, we don't hear anything about it. Okay, but I just didn't think much about that before. Like, oh yeah, I guess the indication is there. He probably is a Christian, which also brings up another thing too about you know if you knew someone from your past. It sounds like because he was a bandit. Ah, uh, yeah. He's been redeemed. How he goes about forgiving and trusting someone else that's gone through the same transformation. That'd be a really good thing they could have brought up. I know that could make for could make for a pretty interesting story. Yeah, but this is a, episode is actually really long. They didn't have time to put that in, but <laughs> that that would be that would be nice to hear. But yeah, we finally hear a church service in Wildwood Community Church, and we hear the pastor, Pastor Barnabas Flint. Yeah, who is Papa Chuck's father-in-law? Oh, and also Steve Bridges. Actually, no, that's not Steve Bridges. Or wait. Oh, I thought that was going to be your surprise. <laughs> oh, no, no. Never mind. It's a surprise Never that he's you know, related to Papa Chuck. But I think the same actor that plays him is the same one that plays... I'm not positive. I think it might be the same one that plays Mayor Boggs and Mr. Rockler, but I'm not positive. I know he plays some other characters, too. Okay. That makes sense. Well, Steve Bridges is in the scene, though. Mr. Crawford's there. Yeah, and Mrs. Crawford. So he's married. Yeah. We didn't hear that before. Nice. Oh, that's cool. And we also get a reference to Mrs. Shuffleby that she's still sick. Remember uh, Stacey... Gets flowers mm. for her. Yeah, yeah. Actually, we have a, we hear mention Mrs. Shuffleby in the last episode too because Ned talked about the girls picking uh, flowers for Mrs. Shuffleby. Oh, there you go. It's a running plot line that may never get resolved, but okay. It's also kind of cool too. Like this is a great way for new characters to be introduced to a new location. Also for the audience too. Kind of like how Wits Flop is to a certain extent, or like Wits Wits Visitor, I think it is something like that. Or no, New Kid in Town. Oh yeah, it's Wits Vi- Wits Visitor. That's one of them. Okay. Yeah, and they're both in family portraits. You got him walking through town, and then the the what's the the third the third one? I can't remember. I just remember like what's visitor in New Kid in Town being kind of like that. New Kid in Town. Yeah, yeah, that was it. But yeah, like we hear like Mr. And Mrs. Crawford. Well, we hear you know John, his daughter Milfred. I guess me, it's Milfred. I'm not sure. It's his accent's kind of thick. Um, grandkids Hans, Digger, and Tootie. I've written down as Moifred. Yeah, and Moifred. It's not a real common name. I, it sounds like he might be like a German accent because I think Opa. I mean, Dutch, because I think Opa is like a German or Dutch name for grandfather. Yeah, makes sense. With the way that they're talking, too. Yeah. And then he points out Cindy, Nana Cindy on the yep. organ, which, did you recognize the hymn that she was playing? I did, but I didn't write it down. Which one was it? There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. I, I might have remembered that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. 
I will now. Uh, I just wrote that down when I was doing my notes. I don't think I picked out that hymn before, but again, some of these episodes I haven't heard in headphones or good headphones before. Oh, come on. <laughs> and then, you know, he introduces Papa Chuck and then, yep, we don't yeah. want to come to this church anymore. Instantly goes, wait, wait, hang on. And, and takes care of his family first and goes, you guys get, get out of here. And then confronts Papa Chuck and then runs. Like, do you not know who your yeah. daughter is married? Good ending for the, you know, the first act here. You know, yep. this grizzly is Goliath. Yeah. And I like how it's not that Papa Chuck has kept his past a secret necessarily. It's just that it hasn't come up before. And with other people in town, they know about it. Mrs. Collins obviously knew about it back in episode two. I love the foreshadowing of this way back in the beginning of the series. These little bits that are set up. They, the payoffs are so great. And then here to have the kids go, wait, what, uh, what, what did he mean by that? What by Goliath? Well, now, now that you know that there is something about his past, might as well tell them about it because they're more than ready to hear it. It's, it's good. It, it treats the audience and the kids with a lot of respect. Yeah. And they mentioned that he, that John was obviously abandoned in the old days and Papa Chuck does try to go after them, try to sell things down, but you know, he keeps just running off, which Really, I can't blame him that much. Yeah. Especially what we hear what happens after this episode. I, I can, it can be totally un- understandable. Well, no, I guess they talk about in this episode about how he beats yes. some of them. Not necessarily just for fighting, like defense or whatever. Yeah, when they're leaving the mountain, which was the original intent of going to scare them off. He's still roaring at them and tormenting them. Yeah. So the narrator talks about how like the youngins have told stories about like, Goliath. Some of them made up about battles with the bandits in the mountain. Deceptions of portrayed by Goliath himself. Which I would have preferred that we had at least one episode besides God with the Wind that talks about them. Like when you talk about playing like that or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. It's almost like a retcon to a certain extent. Like all we hear is, you know, Goliath, is that you? It's kind of like in Whispers in that scene. And that scene is kind of, at least for me as a kid, when I first listened to it, I didn't understand a whole lot of it. So I think me a little more foreshadowed with this Goliath character, maybe at least five yeah. episodes before this one to talk about that. That way it has a bigger impact when he says, oh, this person is Goliath. Yeah, I have a similar feeling about this as I do to In Blinded by the Sight when the narrator just says, yeah, it was actually William who was the crook. And I go, wait, what? And the narrator's like, don't worry about it. We're going to the next scene now. Don't, don't, don't worry. I'm like, oh. Don't okay. think about it. Yeah, in this one, it's you hear all these stories about Goliath and how they used to tell these tales. I'm like, wait, they did? Yeah, but don't worry about it. We're going to talk about that soon. It it seems like it's not important because of the way that it's set up. That it's it's something that we should have known already or something that just gives a little bit of extra context. That's what good narration should be. And when it doesn't do that, I feel really betrayed because I either could have figured this out by myself and I couldn't have figured this out. I had hints of it. I'm not that upset about it, but that is a completely fair critique to levy at this episode. And I think one of the reasons why maybe this isn't maybe maybe this isn't the best episode in my opinion, because and I need to hone that a little bit, but just based on some of the things the narrator says, some of the choices that are made narratively in this one, I think that makes it weaker than some of the other episodes that are at the top of my list. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. So he goes to Fortress Rock. Yep. So the church service keeps on going. He goes to Fortress Rock to pray. Because again, Fortress Rock is important. And then after church, the club goes over to the house, to Papa Chuck and Andy Cindy's house. Yep. We have a good you know, reference to like the last episode where Jaguz says, you know, everything's going to change. You know, whatever's going to happen, it's going to change everything. And then you know, Ned kind of says, like, no, nothing's going to change. And like CJ kind of says under his breath, you know, she's right. She's always right about these kind of things. Mm. Well... It doesn't end up changing anything for Goose. It just strengthens her trust of Papa Chuck. And with CJ, it gives him a reference for in the future. Like, I already knew 
that his relationship with Papa Chuck was would be fine because I already heard I'm a believer. Yeah. So unfortunately, I had that kind of not spoiled, but you know that happened. I knew that took place after this, but also it seems like it's just for him that it's going to be significant. So Goose saying it seems a little out of place, especially if. I'm not really able to think of previous episodes in which Goose said something like that to back up the reason why I should trust her here. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm trying to figure out what I'm what I'm saying here, but it's okay. I just don't know that I trust it. Well, I mean, I think it works. She says everything's going to change. She didn't say exactly for who and how. She just knows that something's going to change here. And it may just be, you know, the way they treat him or the way they view things or that it's finally, he's finally going to tell them about his backstory now, and things are going to change when they find out more about it. Okay. Could, could be one of those things. Sure, I guess. I, I still think it's just weird that Goose specifically is saying that. Like, there's a difference between seeing, like, knowing when things are significant and knowing, having spiritual insight about some something that somebody else is going to go through. Like, that's a much more significant, a much more specific spiritual gift and kind of insight than I think we'd seen set up before. Especially since before, it was CJ seeing all of this for the first time and noticing different ways in which he can more appreciate other people, which was very much the point of that episode. It also like it talked about Goose's gifts, but not in as much detail as CJ's. And so for me to just accept that, oh yeah, she is absolutely right, and CJ knows she's absolutely right here, maybe something better would be Goose saying, I don't know. I feel like this this could change everything rather than saying it is going to change everything. And CJ says, well, maybe for some of us and that and have that kind of an insight because it doesn't end up changing everything for Goose. And for the way that Goose is saying that, it seems a little bit weird. So, like, maybe she just doesn't realize that she has this gift because I think if she realized it. She wouldn't say that line. You know, like you said, you need, she needs to hone her craft, like, you know, get better with her maybe. gift. I don't know. I, I think it was just a, a little bit of a weirdly written line. It may be, but, you know, you can always find find a way to plug that plot hole a little bit better, I think, than what we talked about in the last episode. It's not our job. It's their job to plug plot holes. <laughs> yeah. So David King, playing Papa Chuck here, he gives he gets a really good chance to shine, to, like, spend a lot. He, we hear him talk more in this episode than we ever have before. And the way he tells the story, he sounds kind of almost defeated, very somber, kind of at a point that we don't normally hear him that often. Because you hear him kind of jovial. He might be serious with them about certain things. But this time he's just very kind of, not monotone, but he's very serious and deliberate in everything yep. he's saying. Yeah, he's got a very dark tone to him. Yeah, he talks about, you know, Wild Mountain several years ago is dangerous. Mm-hmm. Wild Mountain can be a pretty dangerous... Yeah, because they're banned. It's everywhere. <laughs> he just says, he says, well, you know, kids, Wild Mountain can be a... Pre- <laughs> <laughs> but it's the actual life of the internet. Yeah, that would that would have changed the mood at all, would it? <laughs> <laughs> and they go, uh, what? He's like, oh, forget that. Just had a flashback, anyway. But yeah, so it's back when he was twenty years old. You know, bandits stole, terrorized. There was really no law and order. I didn't know that he was twenty in the first flashback. So hearing young Papa Chuck made it sound like, wait, are you supposed to be thirteen or fourteen? And you, your voice already sounds changed. That doesn't sound great. And then the next scene, uh, I thought, oh, well, he's twenty. His his young voice is perfect. He does an excellent job at making himself sound younger. I was I was wondering what you thought about that because yeah. I actually didn't think it was all that great. I, I know at a certain point it's hard to make your voice sound a lot younger when you're at a certain age. Kind of like uh, 
Roger Mueller playing kind of young, uh, so bad, his young so version bad. of himself. That was awful. <laughs> I think it's about the same with this with David King. Like, I think it's more. No, I loved it here. I really liked it here. Well, like when he's you know like Chuck is being like you know kind of, I don't want to say whiny, and he's a he has a right to be upset with this, but you know his kind of yelling at his dad and things like that. He sounds more. It's like, oh, it's kind of a stretch there, but once he's not using the higher register with being a higher-pitched voice, it sounds better, I think. Once I tracked that he was 20, it made a little bit more sense, especially since they're coming off of this tense situation. kind of makes sense that he would be pitching his voice a little bit up. And one difference that I noticed in his voice is that Papa Chuck normally, his voice is a little bit gravelly. Good reference back to Grace to Hugh when he lifts the beam and he growls right there. That's an edge to his voice that we're not we don't really hear at the beginning of his portrayal of young Papa Chuck. So then when young Papa Chuck comes in, also his voice isn't gravelly, but it is a little bit more high pitched. Uh. So hearing those differences in his voice, I was able to take that and say, Oh, okay, okay. I can imagine young Papa Chuck sounding this way because he's twenty and he's acting this way. It doesn't sound like his voice would be completely different when he's younger. Like with Roger Mueller, it just sounds like he's skinnier but still has the head of somebody who is older both when he's playing the antichrist and john morrison so but with papa chuck i can actually imagine him being a little bit younger a younger version of himself it's just that's the way that i see it and i think that i thought it translated well okay the way you explain that i I i think i would probably have to agree with you there there you go but yeah so his parents they pretty much have nothing left the bands have stolen pretty much everything Chuck wants to fight yeah. them, but his parents are just willing to leave, which, and they don't talk much about this, about, like, whether or not that was the right decision or not. I mean... To leave? Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, there's... They can't stay. The bandits are gonna come back. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm just saying that it'd be a good conversation for them to have. When do you fight? When do you hold your ground? And when do you retreat? Again, this episode was very full, and, again, that wasn't the lesson to be taught there, but also it shows, you know, like, Chuck kind of went to the extreme in one direction of the two choices there. Well, I had seen it. It seemed like his dad had his mind made up and his, his dad and mom were like, we're going to move. And Papa Chuck goes, or Chuck at the time goes, well, okay, but w- while you're moving, I'm going to stay behind because he leaves them a note saying that. And like, he's 20. seems like he can take care of himself. I don't know how animal age works here, but I think it would have under, I think it would have undermined what there were, what David, uh, not David White, David Carl was going for in this episode by having it having there be a conversation between Papa Chuck and his parents about when to go or when to stay, or even with the kids, because the point is very clearly I stayed because of this very foolish decision to fight off these bandits or or to to try to drive them out. It was motivated somewhere, even if he didn't realize it at the time, out of a desire for revenge. So the difference would have been if he had good intentions in mind in protecting his family then maybe, maybe you could have that conversation. But since his family's mind were, were instantly made up, that wasn't even a, a point of discussion, I think, for this episode. Yeah. Like, you'd have to, you'd have to drastically change what his dynamic is with his parents. And I, I don't think, especially considering this was older or even further back in the timeline from when Paws and Tales takes place, it seems to make sense that his parents would just not have anything. They wouldn't really take into, a, take into account what he would say about it. You know? Yeah. And, like, even so, he loves them and he wants to protect them. Yeah. 
he talks about how he was working on a plan for a, a, some time. This is, I guess, kind of the breaking point yeah. here. So yeah, that, that's also that. It's like if, he, if he's been, if he's been thinking about it for a while, it's not that he's gonna try to come to terms with. Well, wait, should we stay or sh- or should we go? Or unless you're saying he should have that conversation with the kids, because I also don't think that fits with the narrative. Yeah, no, I, I think. Well, yeah, no, I, I'll just leave it there. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I don't. I don't yeah, think you should have yeah. talked about that, but I'm saying that that could have been a good opportunity to talk about, you know, the ethics and like, or like, again, discerning if you, what you should do or not. Yeah, it could have been. I think that's, um, that's probably, well, I think you could say that goes back to Stacy's dilemma, right? When you've got a choice between two things, like, do you do one thing that maybe you don't have an obligation to, to tell if you saw anybody? I know Stacy kind of lied in that episode. Or do you do something else that might incur more consequences? That's definitely a conversation to have. Sure, sure. I think I just think it goes against where Papa Chuck was at this time. Like he's not he's not a Christian at this time, so I don't see why he would be making that ethical choice or even have the capacity to learn yeah. from that ethical choice at this time. Nuances. So we hear he has a friend, a coyote named Derek, which we hear another coyote in Paws and Tales. Yep. And the scene where he talks with him and they plan things out, I'm pretty certain was cut for the radio version because I remember listening to this episode sometime after I bought the CD album. And there are some scenes and lines in this one that, again, this episode is like over 31, around 31 minutes, something like that. And most of them are like 25, 26. So I think that scene, a lot of that was cut. A few lines with the kids at the beginning of the second act. And another part later that was kind of surprising too, but um they kind of uh, have some other comrades around the same age to kind of help them. They just you know kind of attack a few of them here and there, not doing a whole lot. And then we come to the scene, which is probably my favorite scene in the episode, is when they get their foolish, exciting idea. Whether you know around the campfire in the fog, mm-hmm. I think it's mm-hmm. I think it's Nettles just cover himself with gray ashes and stuff. And it, it's funny. It's it's one point in the episode we get a little bit of humor. Like, we got a little bit at the beginning. Yeah, and it's situational. It's great. Mm-hmm. And it's funny that he just keeps sneaking up on them and them choking on their food and things like that. Yeah, but also just highlights how effective that is when they eventually use it on the bandits. Like, we've seen it. We've seen it work in this scene. Then we get a scene with Papa Chuck telling about how it happened. It's a good way to structure it. If we're not actually going to see the scene where they attack the bandits, I think that's fine. I think that's tasteful. That's the next best thing, to show how they attacked him. Yeah. It's a clever idea, too. Clever storytelling device with that. Yes. Yeah. They meant to basically be like a Robin Hood, you know, stealing back the money. Yep. And he talked about, you know, how, you know, they didn't know where everything came from, and they took it for themselves, kept it, Mm -hmm. and they basically became like the people they're trying to attack, basically. Exactly. Yeah. No better than the bandits, basically, instead of just, you know, the poor, you know settlers or whatever there they're attacking the bandits be more like just a power struggle between the two of them not necessarily trying to even do any good which again you kind of like that thing too like you know how at what point your drive to do that trying to do good is corrupted and you're only doing bad then yeah yeah it's that it's that moment of like papa chuck realizes it in hindsight what he did pretty clearly and marsha also says but then you, you went back later and you gave it back no no we kept it that's a pretty clear indication of what what did you do like is what you did good or bad, and if I I think he probably also if if he thought about it when he was younger, he would have known whether it was good or not. But he was just so blinded by anger at these bandits that he did it anyway. 
it makes sense. And the way the story tracked so far and what his backstory was, it's very compelling how he gets to that point. Yeah. Well, actually, we do get another scene that has a little bit of humor in it. That's when his <laughs> band of anti-bandits or whatever, Derek wants to be the Avenger. Nettles wants to be the Pimpernel, which is really funny, too. <laughs> like the Scarlet Pimpernel. Like, you know, it's from a book. From it's a, a book. good book. So as long as we have the bandits read the book first, then they'll be terrified. <laughs> that's really funny. Yeah. And then Schmedley goes, I think I'll just call myself Schmedley. Wait, but that's your name. You got to change your name. And that he really sounds like Will Ryan. It's not Will Ryan, is he? No, actually, the one that plays Schmedley, I think, is the one that plays Multi. Oh, okay. Or Mange, sorry. Got it. Well, a couple of those lines thought, oh, that, that kind of sounds like Will Ryan right there. Okay. Yeah, he has some little bit of vocal similarities, and I love the kind of build up for Chuck. You know, he yes. says, you know, I want them to pay. I want them to be afraid. I want the fear of the fog. And even going to sleep, I will be Goliath. It's that moment when you realize how far he's gone. And the next scene we see with them, when his his friends are also saying, "Yeah, he's he's kind of losing it." That it's he's already at the point of you've lost sight of what you're doing here. You're reverting to your animal instincts. It'd be the end of us if we're not careful and things like that. And those people are being beaten badly. And uh, we don't get the indication of whether or not John in this episode was one of those bandits. I and mean, he was, was a bandit, but I don't think we hear... If we had this episode in this season talking a little, a little more about that, we might have heard like whether or not they actually did come to blows or not. But just the name of it and recognizing him, he probably, you know, was probably enough. Whether or not he they were actually were in a battle, you know, real close or not. I love how the narrator talks about the feelings of the kids here. It almost reminds me a little bit, kind of an, of an, of an inverse, of that part in the Lion, Lodge to the Wardrobe, where when they hear the name of Aslan, the Pevensey kids have these different reactions to it, kind of based on like their personalities. Yeah, okay. I don't know if you remember that part. No, I don't remember that at all. <laughs> so based like Lucy, when she heard it, it almost sounded like a strand, of, like it was almost like a, hearing a strand of music. Susan, or no, I think for Lucy, it was like waking up, to like on a holiday and realizing that you don't have school susan music and and peter felt kind of brave and adventurous and edmund just got the sense of horror it kind of speaks to like how they are at that point right, in the story of, because of his sin and with this one ned ned's impressed like he's liking it which kind of feeds into his kind of his mentality that he's in right now oh can i also just can i also just mention that i'm so glad that the grecian era never happened because cj and ned are back to being best buds in the previous episode and i really like that dynamic where they're just talking to each other on the way to the the general store oh yeah yeah i didn't think much about that but usually most episodes kind of don't always have a that kind of ending like that yeah but if you cut out grecian urn you get scarlet stain the gift goliath and ned's I guess his arc through those three episodes is kind of scary because it's not addressed what's going on, but we see bits and pieces of his darker side, the previous one where he's just willing to jump in there and fight. And then this one, when you get that, a little feeling of him being impressed. I'm like, Oh no, somebody needs to check in on Ned. He is not okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, and like I said, Marsha, she feels lied to. CG felt like it, like someone punched him in the stomach. Stacey didn't really know how to feel. It, it, again, it kind of points to like how they're feeling, like Marsha being like the most shy and backwards. Yeah, and she's throughout the whole episode trying to say, no, 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 you, you, you did the right thing, right, Papa Chuck? No, I, I didn't. So that's why she feels like she's been, been lied to, because she hasn't been told the full story about this person who she trusted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting, but not surprising, that the first one to forgive or, or trust him is Goose. And, you know, she kind of 
speaks for all of them to a certain extent. Not all of them kind of same conclusion right away, but again, she has an insight and she has you know this exuberant love and seeing the good in people. I don't, I know, has some connotations now after some episodes of another show. No, this is this is the this is the good thing because we've actually established that Papa Chuck is a a good spiritually discerning person who has like been redeemed through Christ. And we've also seen how Goose is always wanting to look on the bright side. We have established this. It has been laid out. We don't need to reference the past. And we also get one of my favorite lines from Goose, which is, Goose, which is not a line. Can can you put it into the, the review? Goose is sputtering after... <laughs> really? When did... Oh, you mean me. Oh, well, I, I just... Push the wall over the wall. You know what? I'm kind of... I didn't even push the wall <laughs> That's great. I love it so much. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, that that was when you were saying earlier in this review. So did these episodes cement that Goose is your favorite character? I'm like I'm absolutely yeah. That part right there. Her. I don't. I don't know what's gonna happen to her in the future. But right now, I'm just gonna save this little moment of Goose and say I adore, adore <laughs> Goose in season one. Yeah. Except for the great co kart race. Well, she's she's fine. Well, I guess the beginning of that one. Yeah, she's pretty bad. Pretty bad. A couple things here I have to note. Papa Chuck basically talks about him and his life. It says something really familiar. It says no one was gonna tell me what to do. Ooh, sound familiar? Ned perked up at that and then like, yeah, I wanna, I wanna be discipled by you. Oh wait, not you. I mean Goliath. Where is he? <laughs> no comment. Oh, oh no. <laughs> and we also get hints to the future. He says, you know, it was the worst time of my life, and then he corrects himself, the second worst. So, what do you think was the worst? I don't know. Maybe the time when he like. The third act of this episode that we don't get. Maybe that was the worst time of his life. Because this is an incomplete story. This is part one of Papa Chuck's backstory. Of which we get the kids coming to terms with the fact that he has a backstory. And that's fine as the ending of season one. It's It makes it kind of hurts the story to do it that way. It's okay. You, you still have a competent episode here. But by not giving us the full story of what happened to Papa Chuck and giving us a resolution, we end with him doing these things to the bandits. And we'll talk about that scene in a second here. I think you're still getting to it. But once we get past that, I'm like, wait, that didn't go as far as it should have. And no, it didn't. Because the last thing we're left with in the past, in Papa Chuck's past, is that. That is, by nature, by definition, incomplete. So it didn't end on a climax. It ended on a midpoint. There are ways that you can divide a story into part one, part two that work really well ending on a climax or even making your midpoint into a climax. I'll recommend here the new Spider-Man movie. Good way to end on a midpoint. A lot of people hate it for doing that. This, I think, just ends when the story is in the middle of, oh, you didn't you didn't like bring things to a, like, oh, wow, that was really surprising. It was just, yeah, and then I continued to be a terrible person until things got worse. But we're going to talk about that later. Instead of, and then this thing happened that and like teases for what happened next. It's just more of the bits and pieces that I've been getting throughout the entire episode, if that makes sense. That's my only gripe with this episode, is is the way it decides to structure Papa Chuck's backstory. I have a little bit of pushback on that, and I'll get to that here in a little bit. But okay. Yeah. So you were talking about how, you know, the bandits are leaving the mountain, some stragglers, basically, and he goes at him by himself, basically, and you hear him roaring and them screaming and his friends are talking about you know he's beating them badly some have scars the rest of their life rest of their life and all he knows is hate yeah something doesn't change it's gonna be the end of him and it could be the end of them as well yep and i just love great character moments here very little music at this 
in this last scene for a while is, you know, CJ's really quiet about things like that. And, you know, like, Marsha's just trying to be really positive. Oh, yeah, that line. That's... About how God had to take a hold of me. I had to reach up. And he's crawled out of that life. And I love this here. I think it's something like, I didn't need to just stop sinning. I had to start living for Christ. Mm, mm, yeah, and Marsha also says, and he snatched you right out. And Papa Chuck goes, no, no, he helped me crawl out of that life. It's like, uh, wow. Yeah, Mar- I, I, I hope there are other episodes that really deal with Marsha's character because she's way too flighty for her own good. And I like how she's called out there. Like, no, no, it wasn't. It wasn't like that. That's a really that's a really powerful moment. So I think this is a good point to talk about that a little bit. But I think this episode does is fairly self-contained because Goose talked about how she recognizes that why Papa Chuck teaches the kids. He wants them to save them from that kind of life he had. And he talked about, you know, you're probably right. Not just be good, become new creatures, become disciples like in Snake Oil and how some think he's still wild. I think it's self-contained enough that one, this person looked up to all these years has this backstory, but they see how he is now. They know some of what happened before. They don't necessarily know how he came to be Papa Chuck and how he became a Christian, but it's enough they're like, okay, you know this about me? Do you still trust me? It's a good starting point for like, okay, the person that you knew, I guess, basically all their lives, you're like, what, eight, seven, eight-year-old, something like that, yeah. 10, something like that. That's really difficult, and I don't have it pulled up here, but David Cross also in the director's notes for this. One thing I want to bring up in this episode is basically how, you know, different Christians and saints can basically give their testimony. It may be difficult for them, but it's also important for people to share that. You know, my life wasn't all just, you know, flowers and unicorns and rainbows and all this stuff. It, You know, God brought me out of so much, kind of, you know, showing how it can be done in a tasteful way. Yep. And again, I, I understand wanting to hear more. It's it's meant to like leave you wanting more. But I think it does its purpose in showing, okay, yes, he has this backstory here, but can you still trust him? Even though you don't know everything about it. And it goes to like, you know, which we'll get to this here in just a little bit about like CG's kind of final line here. But, you know, he asked the club, you know, do you trust me? I Goose kind of wrapped it up earlier, basically. She kind of said it, but Stacy then Marsha, then Ned, then Goose, and then CJ, you know, he doesn't say at first, and he asks, you know, there's more to the story isn't there, and he says, you know, a lot. Yeah. When did you stop hunting bandits? You know, when did you become Papa Chuck? He'll tell them when he's ready, when he's ready, or when you're ready, and when I'm ready. I love CJ's line there, says, you know, I trust you because you're a disciple of Christ. You will know someone by their fruit, even if you know they've had a sordid past, you can see how they are now. If you know that person well enough and see their actions, you have to really know a person in some cases, but also you can also feel that sometimes too, where if someone really is a follower of Christ or just someone doing lip service, mm-hmm. basically. Yep. But I just love the way the actor for CJ there says, you know, he says it so determined. He says it kind of quietly, but kind of firmly, you know, I trust you because you're a disciple of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Really made me feel something. <laughs> I think he says about, you know, I want to be just like you, I think. Or is that, I'm, th- maybe I'm thinking of a previous episode. Snake oil. Well, he has said that before, though. Yeah, but he just says that, you know, I trust you. It, it takes him a while to get to that point. Yes, I can trust you. Like, even though I don't know everything, I can still trust you because I see how you are now. And that doesn't change it. Anything. I still love you. I still trust you. I just lo- love how that ends there. And then Goose, she talks about, you know, this is big. And then yeah. Cindy just says, like, you have no idea. And then she's like, group hug. So I want to mention before we get too far, I remembered back when Papa Chuck returns to the church. He talks about how he's going to go to Fortress Rock and then tells Nana Cindy to send the kids over. And then he has a line about, like, if they even 
want if they even trust me anymore if, if they even want to come over after yeah. that or something about it, even if the parents will let them come over and that ties into this ending point where he doesn't even know how this is going to end up he doesn't know how the kids are going to react which is really hard to see him going through this especially when he comes back to church and he's not doing okay and he tells Nana Cindy no I'm not okay that's hard to see and it's great characterization that he's struggling really hard with this so this moment means a lot to him as it does to CJ and seeing Oh wow, you you did some bad things in your past. Yeah, I know you're wanting to hear more and things like that. You felt it was kind of incomplete, but the ending with the group hug and all that—do you think that was a good, you know, clincher? Y- yeah, as far as the real world thing or the the modern day thing went, I thought that was fine. You mind if I elaborate a little more on what I meant by wanting to hear more? Okay, go ahead. So when Papa Chuck is saying, "Do you trust me?" to all the kids, I was thinking back through his backstory and thought, "Wait, that was it? That actually wasn't as bad as I thought it was." So you, you ended up scaring a bunch of bandits off and, st- and stealing some of their stuff. Okay, that doesn't give you the same reputation as being Goliath. Th- that That's not as scary. And the couple references to he gave some of them scars. Thought, okay, well, that's getting there, but we haven't seen that. We didn't see that in a flashback. We just heard about it. Like, we haven't even heard if he's killed anyone either. So I think that would be really serious to, to discuss. And that's what I thought was going to be in his backstory. That's what I think would merit having a backstory like he does to have something that serious, at least something that we see in a scene. So getting to the end and, and thinking, well, that that was it? I don't think that really was as deep as I thought it was going to be, and I don't think that the the gravity that this episode is giving it or previous episodes gave it is really warranted. But then CJ says, there's more to the story, isn't there? And Puppet Chuck goes, yes. Yeah. So I was like, oh, okay, okay, so there's just more, but we didn't see it. So then I thought back to that final scene that we see of them when Papa Chuck is going off by himself and roaring at the bandits who are leaving and the friends around him say, yeah, he's, he's almost gone, gone wild. And they talk about the scars that some of them will have for the rest of their lives. What I wanted to see was a scene where Papa Chuck finally snaps when he's when he's doing it with the bandits. Like, he's he's been scaring them. He's been sort of attacking them, stealing their stuff, but then he actually hurts one of them. And then he doesn't mind that he hurt one of them and continues to scare the rest of them. And that is the dramatic moment that we use as the Act 3. Like, Act 1 is Papa Chuck, or young Chuck, trying to figure out what he should do about the bandits. Act 2 is putting getting his group of friends together and realizing they, can, they have a fighting chance against the bandits. Act 3 is hurting one of them. Whereas what we have here is Act 1, Papa Chuck doesn't know what to do. Act 2... He puts his plan together, which involves hurting them, and there is no Act 3. That's just the way the story structure works, and I think following the three-act structure there would have made a lot more sense. And it's not even that much of a fix. You just replace the last scene where they're talking about Papa Chuck, replace that with a scene where he's actually doing something. And that gives a lot more gravity and a lot better of an ending to this part of Papa Chuck's story than we had before. Does that make sense? Well, it sounds like more like the three, the story within a story wasn't quite the three-act structure is more like the you know the bookends or whatever was more of that, but the internal story wasn't right. And because of that, I didn't feel there was a good resolution to the internal story within this episode enough to justify where he pauses the story. That is, maybe this is just Papa Chuck not being being kind of a reluctant storyteller. <laughs> maybe that's just the me- the meta of what's going on here. I don't know. So here's something really interesting. I I haven't listened to like the, the radio version for a while, but I remember listening to the full version of this, and like, wait a minute, I don't remember this song. I don't remember this song at all. the song cut from the radio version? And I, I'm fairly certain that on the radio version, they did not have the song on the radio because they probably cut it for time. Do they have a song on the radio? No. Whoa. Well, that does, you can't just cut a song. I mean, I understand why you cut this song because I don't like this one, but no, why would you 
cut a song from Paws and Tails. That doesn't know. You don't do that. I, I think they did that again because this episode is so full. They had so much to do. And yeah. the songs take up like three to four minutes. So if memory serves me right when I first heard this episode, because I listened to like the tapes I record off the radio and I don't remember that song being on there. So when I listened to this, the full version of this episode, which is a really good plug here. If you have just been listening to the podcast version of these episodes, go and buy the CDs with the MP3 downloads from Insight for Living because you'll get no ads and you'll get extended scenes and lines. And I guess in this case, a song that's not on the on the podcast version or radio version. But yeah, the song here. Did you recognize the singer? I know it's not Papa Chuck. I, I'm trying to think of who the singer was. Who is it? It's not Steve Bridges. <laughs> how, how, you want to give me a hint? He's on Odyssey. Is it, um, it, it's not Gregory Jabbar, is it? No. <laughs> Licorice anyone? Is it, uh, is it Jess Harnell? Yep. Yes, I did recognize it as Jess Harnell. Fantastic. Great. <laughs> nice reference. So, you didn't recognize that as Jess Harnell, or you were just thinking, oh, I know this voice. I knew the voice, and I was trying to figure out who it was, but I was just distracted by the fact that it wasn't Papa Chuck's actor. I didn't, not enough to hear that it was Jess Arnell, but yes, that, I can hear that now. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah, Jess Arnell, unfortunately, he's never in, like, actually acting in a scene, but he is in a few songs in the future. Good. Including one of my favorite songs from next season. We'll be looking forward to it, then. But more than likely, they did that because probably David King is a good actor, but not as good a singer. Like, he has kind of some lines in uh, Solid Rock. Yes. But he's more of just talking and just, like, laughing. He's not actually singing a lot. It's more like just, like, I think he says, you know, so build your life on Jesus. Yep. He's kind of saying that there. He's not actually singing it. You know these episodes so well, sir. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of odd to a certain extent, but I think it's almost kind of to offset how gloomy the episode was. This is kind (laughs) of like a happy hoedown song, basically. It's a fun song. Like, I like it. Like, I, I understand the need to kind of be a contrast. We had, like, the gift and that kind of melancholy kind of song. So with this one, especially, I, I think it works. It just kind of, again, we had a group hug thing and then having this song. I think it works. I don't really think it works since it's in the context of this is Papa Chuck who is singing this. I don't think that he would be talking about his past this way in this hoedown manner. I would expect a disembodied voice. To be talking about it this way, of when God turns your life around, or I used to be this way, like in uh, the way that uh, God God works all things out for good, like how that song goes. It kind of talks about CJ's story, but then it talks about another another guy talking about meeting somebody on the side of the road and now they're friends. Something like that, where it doesn't directly tie into the episode. I, I feel like having it be Papa Chuck in this one is coming off of that serious scene where CJ admits there's more to the story here. You have all these dark memories locked inside of you. Yeah, this happened. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I I felt like it was... I, I didn't think it was that great. Well, I I think it kind of works because it shows like he's a new creature in Christ. Like, he does tell a little bit how he was and that he isn't now. I mean, this might work better at a different point in his story, but I, I like it. I think it's it's quite catchy. I like, love, like, the line. Again, we have the mix of, you know, animals, having souls and things like that, but... It's fun. Bye bye, bad grizzly bear. You're nothing but a girl covered with hair. Again, I don't. I don't think I would have pictured Papa Chuck singing or saying those kind of words. But I think the saving grace for this probably for you is that Goose gets to sing along with it, right? Yeah, and you'll hear in my reaction. I said, okay, if you put Goose on Kazoo, I'll like this one. <laughs> Goose didn't go in Kazoo, so I, yeah, it didn't happen. Well, I I, li- I like how she like joins in and like where she has a really happy laugh. I love her laugh. Yeah, her her laugh is so wholesome. It's just. 
kind of like, okay, well, that's that's fine. I know you want me to really like this. No, I, I didn't feel it this time. And that is slightly subjective, but I also kind of want to be objective about, like, why I didn't like it. I, I think it's just the context. Like, if I, I love the end of Scarlet Stain, um, and I'll bring this up later, but, well, actually, no, I'll keep it a secret for now. But the song that follows, uh, if we confess, uh, after Scarlet Stain works so well because it's very somber and because it doesn't specifically talk about the plot and what happened. The song at the end of the Grecian Urn fails miserably because it takes what happened with Ned's character, injects it into the song in something that should have been much more serious, and just makes me confused. (laughs) So, yeah. And that's why this is somewhere in the middle there. I think this is definitely in character. It's just poor timing. Okay. Well, another line I did want to bring out here I really like. I love how the light of his salvation brought me out of hibernation. I, I I love I love good I love good rhyming I love you know the not quite puns but you know kind of wordplay yeah yeah working about you know these are animals kind of thing Sandy Howell's always been good uh, I'll say that I have many 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 more songs that I like from this season than I don't like and the ones I don't like are for very specific reasons Okay so now we finished that episode and we've now reviewed all the episodes in yeah! season one let's do a little bit of a rewind or recap or whatever Woo! so after hearing all 29 episodes what is your favorite or some favorite episodes and songs and some of your least favorite episodes and songs oh okay well do you have a list because i have a list i have a few okay well i, I ranked every single one let me go ahead and plonk the perfect christmas gift and i'm a believer into this list I'm going to be generous to both of these. So I've got these separated into two sections each. I've got the songs that I liked, songs that I didn't like, songs or and those kind of conform to songs that I thought were good, songs that I thought were poor, along with episodes that I like, episodes that I didn't like, episodes that I thought were good, episodes that I thought were poor. That's, that's kind of how that's, that's broken up. I remember, it, you're probably going to have to help me here, I remember the, let's start with the Perfect Christmas Gift, the song. It's called the Perfect Christmas Gift. You know, the Perfect Christmas Gift yes. is yes, Jesus. I, I remember that. Do you remember if I said how much I liked it when we reviewed that? I think you didn't like it that much, especially since it had the part, you know, it's free if you just believe or something like that. I think we both you and me were kind of thinking about it being kind of too generic and almost glossed over some things where it's, yeah, it kind of is, but it's not really quite how that's meant in the song. Okay, I'm going to put it right above, I'm going to put it smack in the middle of the 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 songs i remember not liking that little part of it but thinking of it yeah it's it, it's um i think tim tim hosman right does the does the music for it yeah 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 so i think he did the orchestration for it too and it sounds or the piano part for it, it sounds really really good so i'm gonna plonk that down there let's see so for the perfect christmas gift the way i do this is i go down my list and i see okay is it better than this one no is it better than this one no is it better than that one yeah, yeah it's better than that one so it's a david carl episode which gives me a pretty good idea of where i would put it i'm gonna put it above a, a good foundation we'll put it right there and you'll find out where that is in a little bit hopefully for i'm a believer i think i'm gonna, gonna put that at the top of the episodes i didn't like a, as much because I, I i remember being pretty mixed on that yeah because of where where cj was at the beginning of the story and also the weird blend that is not addressed of animals and humans throughout it uh, but it's it's okay so putting it at the top there and then the song yeah i don't remember the song at all so it's gonna have to stay off the list for now but okay now we have what should be the definitive list yeah well, well let's do this i'll i'll go from my bottom five songs and then the top five songs 
And I'll just go with all the bottom episodes and then all the top episodes. Okay, that's fine. Okay, so let me let me see this. So the fifth to last song is the song from Goliath. Because I, I didn't feel like it, it fit well with the ending of the episode, it's still a fun song. All of all of Sandy Howell's songs are fun in some way. But because I think a good song should be able to be separated from the episode and enjoyed it without the context of the episode, but augmented by the context of the episode, I think it kind of takes away from the episode when you have it like telling the story of the episode. It, and you get the idea. We just talked about this. Yeah. Another one is the song from uh, The Race Against Time, uh, When Your Neighbor is in Need, because I don't agree with the message of that song. <laughs> That and it's also the weird telling of the turtle and that whole story. It's a little bit strange. I get the point that it's giving, but given the context of a race against time, and that they should have stopped and helped Edgar right when they did, and not gone to the sawmill and then immediately came back and helped Edgar. That's the feeling of the. That's the feeling I get from when your neighbor is in need. Like, yeah, you you can you can help, but. There are a lot more nuances here that the song isn't bringing out. It's just help people. So that's okay. I'm just not a huge fan of that. One that I think really breaks that is Go Kart Go. Because that, combined with the message of the episode, it's very apparent in the song that the the one who's singing, like, got to build my go kart, thinking we are so smart. And that's, should you have inherently, should you have teamed up with people from the beginning? Is that what the message of your song that you should never race a go kart by yourself? No, I don't think. I think the episode, the song, does a worse job at portraying that than the episode does. So <laughs> I'm gonna go no on that one. Uh, and then when you're wrong, you're wrong for very specific reasons, along with the song at the end of the Grecian Urn, because I did not appreciate how when you're wrong, you're wrong just recapped co- correction course, which I already had several issues with as an episode. And I didn't even find the story that interesting. I don't see a reason for the kids to be retelling the story this way. Like, I'm super excited to tell how we got in trouble. <laughs> no. <laughs> and then with Ned completely singing out of character, the song felt really flat, especially considering if Ned is singing the song, where Ned's on a journey right now, I'd want him to be singing a lot more deep song, a song that's a lot more deep about himself that I can take a lot more from. But it's it's outright false saying this beaver's a believer i think is one of the the lines no he's not a believer in doing good maybe he's a believer maybe he's still a christian i don't know maybe he is a christian but no he's he's dealing with some things that the song just contradicts so no gonna go no on that one those are my bottom five so for me for songs i would agree with you probably what my least favorite is if you want to know the truth which one is that oh the uh um from the grecian the grecian urn uh-huh. Yeah, like with that one by itself, I think it works. I do like Eric Basil singing in that. I like that he gets a solo song, basically. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, that's always fun. Yeah, it doesn't fit with the story. It negates what happens, and it also kind of minimizes what's happening with Ned there. Yeah, like it's hard for me to separate. I mean, some things are easier to separate from the story itself, but that one, yeah, didn't care that much for that that one as much as other ones. I don't listen to that one as often. Another one was uh, the one we talked about in The Gift, A Plan For Me. I, I didn't feel like it was as strong as Jesus, I Thank You. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I feel that. And also that guitar solo in the middle just seemed kind of just kind of wreck the mood a little bit. Yeah, The Gift is the 10th tenth, tenth from the last on my list. Okay. And then I have Do The Right Thing from Stacey's Dilemma. Oh, because you didn't like the Say A Little Prayer line and Do The Right Thing, right? No, no, I, I that was kind of okay one not my kind of style song and also the setting of it it seems like (laughs) 
This is Wildwood. Is this in the future? Is this in the future? Like, this is not the kind of music that you would have. Like, if they had that line, good night, Wildwood. I loved it. I love that line. Kind of out of place. And also, too, it only seems like it talks about one part of the story. I know you mentioned that you see how it kind of covers both, but I feel like it only kind of covers one of those things. So... Yeah, those are my least my three least favorite songs from season one. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll I'll push back and say, yeah, that that song again. Say a little prayer and then you do the right thing. That applies to CJ because he said a prayer asking for like saying he was he was sorry, asking for repentance, and then do the right thing. Do the right thing going forward. Continue to serve God. Stacy, wondering about discernment. What do I do here? Say a little prayer. What do I do here, God? And then do the right thing. Do what God has already said in His Word. I think it fits perfectly. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> All right, so what about episodes for your least favorites? All right, we're going to start at the about halfway through the list. At number 18 on my list is I'm a Believer. It's my favorite of my least favorites. Uh, I Again, because I haven't heard it in a while, I give it a nice middle ground right there. I remember having some eh, not-so-great thoughts about it, but I can't really talk about it right now. Next one, number 19, The Lighthouse. It, the episode is fine for the most part, but what gets me is Timothy Owl and how he keeps appearing throughout the episode. <laughs> and with, his canned with wings. No, y- yeah. I thought the wings are okay, but just as far as the writing goes, he it's very strange how he's placed in the episode and not really addressed. The Scarlet Stain is, does a much better job at dealing with Timothy Owl. And also considering what Timothy Owl ends up being for CJ in a conscious effort, I, I'm wondering if that's just spurred on by the fact that he's kind of just there. In this, epi- in this episode. It's okay, but that itself puts it uh, towards the top of the ones I don't think are good. The Hullabaloo at Hunker Hill has a fatal flaw in that the episode was gearing up to be actually pretty good. But first off, it's a little weird how the episode is about forgiveness. This is number 20 on my list, by the way. It's a little weird how the episode is about forgiveness when it more seems to be jealousy or just bias against somebody who's done bad things in the past it's a little muddled as far as that goes but yeah something about phil lawler and i i don't know if he was like this back then i absolutely know he's like this right now he just makes plot holes deliberately and then ignores them and that's something he did in this episode he never addressed how the brake line was cut on the on the the car and it's drawn attention to several times like yeah the brake line was cut there's no way that it could have snapped going down the hill that you would have needed, like, uh, you would have needed, like, wire cutters sorry, to cut sorry it. Sorry, sorry, after you there. That was actually written by Jeff White, not Phil Lawler. I'm sorry. I'm stupid. I thought it was Phil Lawler, and then I heard Jeff White at the end. Never mind. I want to rag on Jeff White for a minute here. Jeff White, you've got one of my favorite episodes, Honey Buzz Principle. I don't know what happened with this one. Never mind. I take it back, Phil Lawler. You still write plot holes. Anyway, next is episode 21 on my list, Blinded by the Sight. That one, when I listened back through it, I was still a little bit lost as to how the mystery was going to unravel. And then the narrator just said, yeah, this is what happened. You've got William and you've got the Mr. Montgomery. And then you've also got, uh, what's his name? Who's Slade? Oh, and then Miss Harbor has been doing this investigation on the side and saw, found out this about the basement and the, the back door. I'm like, that's all great. I'm just sad we didn't get any of that in this episode. The episode meanders on for quite a bit until it ends up just revealing everything and i don't think that's a good way to set up a story also the theme about be sure your sin will find you out yeah you can generally apply that to anything and i don't think it was brought out that well in the actual episode like these people knew they were being sneaky we didn't see enough of them to know that so all that uh next one is correction course uh episode 21 on or actually 22 on my list 
uh, with the the kids acting the way they were, sure, that's fine that they're acting that way, but or that that's fine that they are like that the the moral is that way or that the theme is set up that they learn from this. But I don't think it's presented clearly enough why they got to this point because they have been so, um, what's it? They've been responsible with Mrs. Collins's stuff in the past. And Papa Chuck doesn't even address the heart issue. He just goes ahead and says, why are you playing with swords? You shouldn't be doing that. Instead of saying, okay, is it because of the, the rain? It's because we're all kept inside? There must be something really bothering you to make you act this way. But we don't get any indication of that. That's, that's I think, one of the first indications of a poor moral there. Number 23, closer look. At the beginning, I don't think I'd mentioned this before in the review. Maybe I did when we reviewed this episode. But Ms. Harbour saying there's no right or wrong with art, and then Goo's immediately getting praise for her art? Yeah. That seems really contradictory. Yeah, and then combine that with Stacy not actually having a mystery to solve. We went over this, where all the mystery... It's a caper! Was, it's a caper! That's also strange. I feel like that was added in last minute, that Goo's just says that over and over again. And on the repeat listen, it starts to become kind of irritating. So, as as fun as Goose is... Goose is... Why do I keep calling her Goose? Goose. As fun as she is, that's it was a little grating after a while. Rushing through these because we got to get to the end. Number 24, God with the Wind. I don't think that the evidence of God being invisible and acting invisibly was well enough substantiated for somebody like Wally Wicket to believe in that episode. And we we talked about it back then. I think for most of these, you can go back and, and listen to it again. Um, similar thing with The Pirate's Life. We had said, uh, I'd said, I think there was a lot more potential for there to, this to actually be uh, an actual story or something that actually happened for CJ and for the, the whole idea of rules to be better fleshed out. Like, why does he want to escape these rules? Well, okay, what if there are actually rules on the pir- on this pirate ship he goes to, to visit? And what if this is actually a real-world event that ends up affecting him in different ways rather than just, just being a dream? I don't really know why this happens through a dream other than it's just a storytelling device. So that's number 25 on the list. 26 is Hold the Anchovies. Which, again, I thought was a weird way to just force him into a Jonah-like scenario that I don't even think it was right for him to be in in the first place. If he has a problem with going to the the retirement home because something happened to his grandma, then that should be addressed. But it's not addressed until after he supposedly learns his lesson that he should be going to the retirement home. So these are issues that I I don't think the heart issue is being addressed here. Race Against Time, 27 on my list. Same thing uh, about the the message about, um, what's his name? The skunk. Most of the episode just takes time just going across Wildwood and doesn't really have many examples of character development or a lot of, you know, ways that expand the expand the town in, in significant ways. It's just a lot of little vignettes. And then finally, at the end, the moment that I don't think was the right choice for them to, uh, what, what was his name? Edgar. Edgar. Yeah, he was funny. He's so obviously faking it for at least for me i feel like it could have been a lot better written and a lot better acted as to why they were supposed to abandon their job to help him at that specific moment um and the great go-kart race similar thing the fact that the episode just ends with all of their go-karts crashing with papa chuck saying no you shouldn't be mad that stacy destroyed your go-karts that yeah you had emotional energy put into but you shouldn't be mad because they were awful anyway weren't they and then them, and then him getting them the, the banana split afterward, anyway, even though they all behave terribly. Uh, I I don't know. I don't think that was well substantiated. 
and the, the repeated lines of Ned throughout that episode of she's gonna or he's gonna fall out and land right on his head or her head and stuff. It's it seemed like that you could have written that a little bit more to where it didn't it didn't seem as juvenile as it was. So that's twenty eight, and then twenty nine on my list is a Grecian urn, and I don't think I have to substantiate this one. Yeah, so that's the bottom half of my list. <laughs> So my least favorite is probably the Grecian Urn. Like I mentioned before, that's one I listen to very rarely. And especially after reviewing it, I really see, with your help, you know, so many things wrong with that episode. Yeah. You know, plus the song, not making a great point with what happens to the episode in the character arc for Ned at the time. The Great Go-Kart Race, for a while, this was kind of one of my favorites. But the more I listened to it, the older I got, I felt like, okay, something's not right here. Goose is written as mean-spirited. Yep. And the character's... Again, like you mentioned, like the the moral wasn't the greatest there either. And there's still some really funny lines, but it come a lot of it comes at the expense of characters, and not make them be like characters like they were before, and neither like they are later. Also have the lighthouse. Yeah. I think I don't know. I think also like with the acting or the directing for that one for CJ wasn't the greatest. The last scene we have with uh, Catherine Horatio I think wasn't the greatest with the moral wise there kind of a low energy episode to a certain extent but had some like small flaws with it that just enough to kind of put it like uh oh, no this is not an episode again it's not an episode i listen to that much and that does kind of go into my thinking there all right so let's let's end on a happy note here what's your favorite songs all right well the the five songs that are at the top of my list uh number five is be strong and have good courage and you're gonna have to remind me how that song uh, goes because I keep forgetting how it goes. Be strong and have good courage. Trust the one who loves you so. Oh right, that's the that's the show tune. Right, right, right. The from, vaudeville um, kind of thing. Yeah, it's from um uh, if the tooth be known, right? Yep. Yeah, well, that's that's an example of I I thought that the the story was well paced in if the tooth be known that the moral was good. So porting it over into the song and telling it in a, a creative way, I, I think I think was good. Because it, the moral was well represented in the song, and the the difference in meter and like how Mister it's Mister Wright right in that one correct yeah how he starts tap dancing in the middle of the song <laughs> uh, that was that was really fun so that's that's number five for me number four is it would be silly to do anything else first off it's the song from Timothy Cometh Tif- yeah, it's the song from Tiffany Cometh which we'll we'll find out why that's significant but it's also Goose and she gets a kazoo solo yep. <laughs> and. The the examples of if you were a bird, you listen to your mother. It it fits so well in the world of Wildwood and in the theme of the episode without overtly retelling the episode. It's great. I will stand is number three. It starts off strong. The it's so catchy. Uh, it tells the theme super well. It's something that you can separate from the episode and still have a very engaging theme from it. The uh, <laughs> CJ's yeehaw at the end is really fun. <laughs> CJ as a singer is fantastic in his first actor, so I really love that. What kind of boy is my number two? And after going back and listening to Snake Oil for the second time, I liked it so much more and i thought it was so much better than i thought it was the first time i remember the first time i reviewed it i was kind of eh on it but i think it's a masterpiece now with the, the song is incredible with cj going back and forth with dr theron it's actually as a self-contained thing as a, a sort of representation of their back and forth in the in the episode it works so well with cj again he's a great singer and actually singing in the song whereas dr theron it's a it's a contrast to him not singing but the the verses are great. the The rhyming scheme is is really good. I think it just it matches the feel of the episode really well. And then my favorite my favorite song from season one is "If We Confess." 
Huh. That song hit me in several different ways that I didn't. That I didn't surprised re- me. Yeah, I didn't realize that it would, but when I heard it, I thought, "Wow, Sandy Howell is doing a fantastic job." It is a quintessential song from Paws and Tales. It tells the theme of the episode. It does it in a creative way. The key, the chords, the key, the key changes in that song are really well done. I, the bridge specifically is is very well done. The I think right after the bridge is a key change. So and having it after the Scarlet Stain fits so well with the kind of darker ending ending on a, a more peaceful positive note like i've got i will stand in here because it's 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 a showstopper it's great but then if we confess put that in there it's like oh great this is this is a song from an audio drama this is fantastic i thought all those songs at the top five were really really well done then there were others like uh the jesus i thank you song from high noon that i thought was really really good uh share with others really like that one too again because of goose kazoo <laughs> so yeah those were uh, and then the forgiveness, da, 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 forgiveness. Those were all honorable mentions of songs I thought were pretty good. Nice. Yeah, yeah. For me, after reviewing the episode, I I can kind of see some of the not quite good enough things in it, but I still love the song. The Crooked Man is so much yeah. fun to sing. Yeah, uh-huh. the finger snapping, that kind of noir kind of feeling to it, and Eric Basil and Sandy Howe both singing together. It's it's so awesome. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It made my top ten. Nice. Yeah, and then for me, too, What Kind of Boy is such a fun song. Telling a story within the song. We sang it. <laughs> yeah, it's. I guess it would be considered a ballad, right? A ballad is basically like a story in song form, right? No, it's it's not really a ballad. Um, The the Crooked Man is more of a ballad. Uh, what Kind of Boy is... It's more of a show tune, just because of the, it's the two characters singing to each other. It's not really telling a story. Okay, okay, yeah. That one's a lot of fun. There's a good reason why I chose that one for us to sing together. Yep. Um, it just has a, It's such a fun song to sing. It's yeah. just a lot of fun. It, it has a good message in it, too. It basically, like, it's like a mini version of the story you just listened to, but in a really fun way that's not annoying. And this one is probably the best... It's the only song from the season that's actually not written by Sandy Howe, but that is May I Not Forget You. I think that is one of the best songs from the entire series of Paws and Tales, and it's one that's so beautiful and profound. I love I love listening to that song, so that's probably my favorite from the series. Is that the song from The Gift? Uh, no, it's from uh, I'm a Believer. Oh, that's the one I didn't... That's the one I didn't hear. <laughs> <laughs> no, come on. I gotta go listen to it now. Yeah, it's been months years literally that song. <laughs> i don't know how long it was ago that we reviewed that episode all right here we go so what's your favorite episodes well i'm not gonna go through every single episode for the ones i appreciated uh, i won't I, at least i won't go through details i'll go up to my top six and it's really interesting because the bottom the bottom half below the the episodes that i didn't think were as good you've got most of gary armstrong's episodes jeff white's clark corkums are all down there amy robertson and at the bottom, Nathan Carlson and Jeff Parker. Then you got one David Carl episode as Correction Course. And then, for some reason, Phil Waller's episodes are all smack dab in the middle. And then David Carl's episodes make up the first, let's see, how many is this? The first 14 episodes minus two in my list. He dominates the top half. I, abs- I think he's fantastic. So, David Carl's episodes, you- you'll see the-, the pattern here. We go out from I'm a, I'm a Believer. Number four, which one is this? 17, Plans in the Breaking. 16, A Conscious Effort. 15, Stacy's Dilemma. 14, High Noon. 13, Good Foundation. 12, The Perfect Christmas Gift. 11, Grace to Hugh. 10, To Have and Give Not. 9, The Scarlet Stain. 8, Goliath. So we just had there a series of seven episodes that were written by David Carl. 
only to be broken up by, I guess I'll do my top eight. Or is it seven? I guess it's seven. Top seven. Number seven is the Honey Buzz Principle. I know you didn't like this one as much. I listened back through it again, and I thought it was a, a great representation of each of the characters. It shows CJ getting to a point that he hadn't really gotten to before, learning a lesson about a sort of corporate greed, and then turning around and sharing it with the, the family of deer at the end. I thought it was a really good move and a, a great way to show his character. If the Tooth Be Known, it's a nice little comedic episode, maybe laugh a lot, and had a really good message about facing your fears and the like the, the benefits that can come from that. That was good, so that's number six. Then the top five are all David Carl. Number five is The Princess. Very profound message about prayer. Yes. Hits me every time I hear it. I'm like, wow, I, I so appreciate the message from the king and how he says, well, I, I, I appreciate you praying about or coming to me with this, but I'm not going to do that. I don't want to help Goose and stuff. That, that's like, wow, why not? Well, because I have this plan. But because you've asked, I will help her, but not in the way that you're thinking. It's a very, very solid understanding of what prayer is, from what I understand it to be in scripture. Number four, snake oil. Only reason it's not higher is because I just think there are other episodes that are that are better. It's but it's good. It's it's a very, very well written episode. Doctor Theron's writing is fantastic by David Carl. His relationship with CJ is really well developed. How he you can see why CJ would be taken in by him. It's very fast, but that's his style. The twist at the end where he is a con artist and how you can kind of see it, but then CJ at the end making the decision, like, I don't want to be a disciple of him. I was almost a disciple of the crook. I want to be a disciple of Christ. That is a great theme to encase your episode in. It's it's just all around really good. Standing Alone, episode uh, number three on my list. This has always been at the top. I remember when we heard it, I was so happy about how this episode handled sort of the To Kill a Mockingbird parallel, mm-hmm. but it, it did it with, with a lot of grace with the, like it fit into the world, uh, bringing in the mule and the different kinds of animals that were in Wildwood. Again, it's David Carl. He knows his world well. And the theme of both CJ's dad standing up to the people who were uh, actually, what, what was his name? To the, the doc foreman. And then CJ on himself, uh, lying about what his dad was standing up uh, standing up for and then learning his lesson that at the end coming around that was really good number two this was hard for me number two is the gift wow i, I love uh, and i just heard it today i might have to think about it a little bit more but just thinking objectively about this i can't think of a single thing yeah i can't think of a single thing that i disliked about this episode i'm trying to think it remember if i if i'd said something that was uh kind of negative about it but just remembering back, the way the characters are portrayed in it are extremely consistent with who they've been. CJ's final turn at the end makes sense as a culmination of his character. The scenes are intense. They, it had me pull like hooked of like, oh, what's going to happen next? And then showing Papa Chuck's relationship with CJ as the fallout of what happened and seeing how this can affect the characters going forward. And for Goose just being an all-around great person. Yeah, that's number two on my list. And number one is Timoth- Tiffany Cometh. Wow. There's no no question about that one. It's an all around absolutely fantastic, absolutely fantastic episode. And I, yeah, that's it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's surprising. I, I'm not surprised Standing Alone made it so high, but Tiffany Cometh, wow, yeah, and that is a really good episode. I don't think I had. Did I have anything bad to say about it when we first reviewed it? I think I loved it when we did that the first time, right? Yeah, and there might be some little small things, but yeah, I, I remember overall you liked it quite a bit. It's excellent. Yeah, I, I mean. I'm trying to think now. I don't remember any small things about it. Somebody uh, send us a, a a message and tell me what small things I forgot about it. But <laughs> no, it's it does a really good job at establishing this really terrible character. 
<laughs> and uh, what uh, what happens because of that? So yeah, that, that's my uh, that's my top list. So for me, for the season number three, well, some of these are kind of all over the little over the place. I'm not sure the exact location, but my number one is is pretty certain. But yeah, number three, Snake Oil. Ooh, yeah, I do love that episode a lot. Again, the song too, great episode. Number two. I liked this episode okay for a while, but after reviewing it with you, you brought out so many good things about that that this one made the list. So that one is the Honey Buzz Principle. Yes! I think that is a really good episode. Woo! I thought you were going to put that way farther down. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. like, And also with that one too, we reviewed those episodes all, all in one recording session. It's like a one-two punch. Like These are both great episodes at once where usually when we're doing like two episodes at a time, usually one's kind of weak and one's really good or both are kind of meh. But that's, I remember one, like, both of these in a row are just great episodes. Nice. And number one, Plans in the Breaking. That one's oh, been no. kind of like my favorite for a good while. No, 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 no. <laughs> I know, you didn't like it quite as much as me, but that's, again, it's probably my most listened to episode of all time. I have fond memories of it. I love the progression of the story in it. Not crazy about the song in it, but overall the story, I think, works quite well. It's so contrived, though. It's like, yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> it's literally at the bottom of the of the episodes that I approve of. Well, at least it's one of the least favorite, so it's oh, up there. It's close. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, there we go. So after hearing all of this is season one, what do you want to know most about going forward, and where do you think the storyline is heading? I want to know how many episodes David Carl writes going forward. <laughs> no, uh, just look at my statistics. I'm going to send you... <laughs> For real, I'm gonna send you this this screenshot. Take a take a look at this. Like if this doesn't say something about where I place my values as as a a listener, I I don't know what does. Basically, it's just again the top fourteen episodes of all David Carl. Yeah, it's not it's not a surprise that his are at the top. Like he does write the majority of the episodes, and I agree he does know basically kind of create this world with you know some help from others. But he knows the characters well. He really has a misstep with his episodes, and like I mentioned. Season two, he writes a good majority of them, and then season three, he writes all of them. Good. Okay. Okay. Well, anyway, what I want to know going forward is every plot thread that's been dropped. What are the black tubes? Why hasn't Professor Madavi been mentioned before? Why does Mrs. Collins hate rats so much? What is the other half of Goliath's story? When was the occasion that CJ had to break the rules? What's going to happen to the Scarlet Stain? Why does it last for so many years? How does CJ end up saving the lives of everyone in town? Yeah, those are the things I want to know. I think the one I want to know the most is the lives of everyone in town, because that seems to be the, the highest stakes here. Though the black tubes are kind of weird, because I just don't know what the significance of those are <laughs> at all. I've thought about it for years, and I have not thought figured it out. So overall, do you feel like your life is better having heard this series now? Yes, yes. I feel like there's, uh, like, yeah, it's, it's been a net positive. It's been good to go through this process to see with the episodes that weren't as good to figure out why they weren't as good and to do sort of a different reviewing style than I'm used to with reviewing with you, where you're the the leader, the, the main host, and me following along. That's, like, that's different than what I'm used to doing as a reviewer, but it's helped me to kind of slow down and examine my notes and to bring out more points as we go along through the episodes. So, so that's been good. But then also seeing the, the same writer pop up so many times, David Carl, David Carl, and to see, okay, well, why are his episodes so good? And understanding good storytelling and good spiritual insights in storytelling in a way that works for kids, that shows that this series is, you know, it's not just another audio, it's not, it's not just another part of like kids Christian entertainment that's low quality. 
it is very good. So yeah, I'd say I'd, I probably would have been okay had I not heard Possum Tales, but I'm really glad that I did hear Possum Tales because there's a lot of great that, great things that I've heard from it. Well, that's good. I, I'm glad. Yeah, thank you for introducing me to it. So listeners may be wondering, what happens after this for Beyond AO? Are we going to continue talking about Possum Tales? Yeah, are we just going to keep doing episodes every three months? <laughs> yeah, what's, like, what's going to happen here? Well... I'd say stay stay tuned to the podcast. If you haven't subscribed already, subscribe because any future developments that we may or may not have, we will be announcing those or not announcing those or whatever. You'll find out on the podcast. So I mean, just make sure to subscribe to the podcast. I don't mention it much on Beyond AO, but subscribe to the podcast and you'll find out what happens next. But I will give Michael here some spoiler-free teases on what happens in Season 2, what he can look forward to listening to it. Okay. Whether we review them or not. Do we get Goose flailing? <laughs> Goose is involved. Good. Okay. So, here we go. Buckle up. Okay. We will hear a Bible story like you've never heard on Paws and Tales before. Okay. In a good way. Okay. More about Ned's stained hand. Good. Hear from Goose's family. Yay! Three Christmas episodes. Oh! Marsha will get some stories focused on her. Oh, fantastic. A full-fledged musical. What? <laughs> and you'll finally find out what those black tubes are. Yes! Okay. I'm ready for it. And the first episode of season two is called The Dedication. Can I go hear it right now? If you want to. Yay! Yeah, I've been saying all this all this time, season one is kind of rough, you know, finding their footing. And I think also having a lot of different writers in the first season, again, they're just starting out, does make for some weak points. But since David Carl does take most of the writing duties later, season two, I, I still believe is my favorite season. I think the best season overall. It's going to be so much fun for, for you, Michael. And for you listeners, if you haven't heard season two yet, it's awesome. Keep listening. Okay. Well, Michael, we've gone on really long here, it's, but it's been a long time since we've got to talk about Paws and Tales. And I just want to thank you so much for coming on this journey with me for a full season of you know a brand new show that you had never heard of or heard before. But thank you so much for joining me on this. It's been so much fun. Oh, yeah, no problem, man. This has been super, super fun. Thanks for being willing to do this and for putting up with my weird recording schedule. And thank you to everybody that gave feedback on the show for Beyond AO. That's also very helpful as well. I'm glad people are enjoying these. Yeah, we love hearing from you guys. Thank you all so much.